Greetings, friend. I hope you're sitting uncomfortably in your car or on your sofa or a beanbag, if that's how you choose to live your life. I'm Gally. I'm a movie review podcaster. Everyone has a special talent. Mine is being able to write, produce, edit, act, paint. Other people are good plumbers. That's their gift. And co-hosts, Devlin and Matt's talents lies in discussing a Halloween marathon episode which may change the world forever. So I invite you to sit back, relax and enjoy the journey to the 31st of October in this special episode of the Rewind Movie Podcast. I mean, I'm the same. I've just seen how long this episode is. It's three hours. This is the Rewind Movie Podcast. We're movie fans. Shit spinners. Individuals with no real critical insight whatsoever. You are about to enter the world of our imagination. You are entering our dark place. Greetings, travellers, and welcome to the Hella Rewind movie podcast. I'm your host, Knock Knock. Is the devil in? He is. In London. <laughs> and this is Bat in South Korea. <laughs> How's it going? It's very well. It's a very simplified form of the, of the alternative <laughs> Halloween name. Just the one syllable. Sure. But we all got it. Okay, what are we doing then, Dev? Today, uh, we are talking Halloween. It's just two of us today. Mm-hmm. We're a slimmed down uh, unit moving forwards like a shark. That's and right. that is because uh, out of all four of us, the two of us are pre, pretty heavily into this time of the year, right? Yeah, I'd say so. We always do Halloween-related activities. I know, uh, was it last year or the year before, you did something very similar to this on the Rewind site? I did, yeah. I wrote a, a blog, which was a an 18-hour all-day film wow. marathon, uh, which I kind of packed most of my sort of go-to uh, heavy hitters in there. And I thought about doing one again this year, and the idea kind of snowballed when we started chatting about it, that we thought maybe we'll collaborate on it. And then we think, well, then there's two people. You should really have a bit longer. And what with Halloween uh, falling on a Saturday for once, yes. I figured, why not take advantage and go big or go home. Mm. Well, I've done some things like each year. We are year. staying home for this. That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> each, each year I used to do something uh, with a CD mix. Um, I'd sometimes make these CDs and hand them out with, uh, uh, I guess, Halloween-related songs. Weird puns, mm. really. I've got some here. like Stuff like, uh, I don't know, Halloween Head, Ryan Adams, Season of the Witch, Donovan... And uh, yes. Sandman, you know, it'd be anything that was vaguely related to, um, yeah. you know, spooky stuff, uh, puns in the titles and things like that. So yeah, that, that kind of began, um, we used to post them sort of back and forth to each other. Well, it was about 10 years ago, maybe even 11 years I worked out mm. and, uh, we used to post mixes to each other. You sent me a great Freddy Krueger one, um, that you'd, you'd done some Freddy Krueger art. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. And I, I would do, I did one with Universal Monsters and yeah. I did uh, a thumb drive. Do you remember the thumb drive? 
I still have it. It's, it's sitting on my uh, bookcase in front of me right now. It's a USB actual literal thumb in mm. like a little coffin coffin box. I remember making making them up. And so that one was uh, a, a, a video playlist. There's a bunch of films on there. It was, yeah. I think that w- that wasn't audio at all, was it? That was just uh, maybe four yeah. or five TV shows and films, which again is similar to what we're we're doing today. We're just doing it as part of the Rewindcast. Yeah, and quite specifically, we thought, uh, or rather, you thought that it would be fun to to sort of schedule these as like double bills. Mm. Well, I'm a big double bill fan. I like to really sit down and get into two films if possible. And, uh, there's some, there's also something about, you know, curating something like that and putting two films together that complement each other that I really find enjoyable. I made a big Google document of potential, uh, double bills of all genres. So I dipped into that one and, uh, picked out a few that were Halloween appropriate today. So yeah, some of them are kind of thematically linked today. And, uh, and then there's also some other things scattered throughout as well. Yeah. I found the, uh, the double bill scheduling to be the most challenging and thus the most fun thing about this. Mm. Uh, it, it kind of excised a lot of really obvious choices that I may have gone for. Right. Because I couldn't, uh, a, a few films kind of slide into place quite quickly. Mm-hmm. But then trying to think of a, uh, an accompanying film ended up kind of bringing up a few things, which as we go through the list, I think you'll see like some of them would be maybe not considered super obvious choices for Halloween. Right. Well, that happened to me too. It was, there's too many horror films to choose from. Like you said, we're kind of horror film guys and we probably watch horror all throughout the year. So it's, what do you really do to make it special on, on Halloween? And Mm. these double bills help hone it in a little bit. So we'll go through the categories a bit later, but yeah, um, that was a good way to pare it down. Yeah, definitely. Um, and before we get into, uh, the, the schedule, the main schedule itself, um, Mm. you would think, scheduling two entire days worth of films <laughs> and TV shows would be enough. But alas, we our had list over. was enormous and uh, there, there were quite a few uh, waifs and strays, uh, spare mm. parts lying around. So we thought, well, what we'll do is we'll just throw those out as kind of Halloween week recommendations. We'll, uh, we'll fill your entire week with, uh, with, with stuff. Yeah. A Halloween, just, if you like. Ex- uh, it could be a, a Halloween week. Um, let's crack away. So yeah, you're first up um, here. There's, uh, the, the Monday. Um, yes. So we're going to start this one on Monday, the 26th of October. Now I'm not suggesting that we are either of us going to do this exact schedule <laughs> nor no. suggesting that every single person who listens to this well, also, should we've watched immediately. It. We've watched a lot of this stuff building up. So this may not be <laughs> our actual Halloween now. That's but, yeah, true. We've sacrificed um, ourselves for, for the listeners. Exactly. I mean, consider this something to dip in and out of, mm. or if you don't want to be a, a, a total coward about it, no, actually do watch it. Yeah. Literally all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, this, this is obviously this episode is, is linking back to, uh, our blog posts, which we are currently putting together and it's turning into a bit of an enormous undertaking, but mm-hmm. will be worth it. So, um, uh, if you are listening on whatever platform you're going to, please do just go to rewindmoviecast.com. You'll find the blog on there. There's going to be a bunch of links. Matt, you put together a, a pretty incredible and very thorough YouTube playlist. I have. Yeah. There's a, there's a YouTube playlist with something else we'll mention later, but there's also a, a playlist with just bits and pieces of each of our choices. Hopefully 
by the time this comes out in some kind of a chronological order. So it should all correspond and come together. Fingers crossed. Excellent. Well, let's dive in. Mm-hmm. Let's dive straight in. So for the Monday, Monday the 26th, my recommendation was not a film or a TV show. Uh, as we said, this kind of started because me and you posted each other Halloween mixtapes and mix CDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really love Halloween music. Again, much like we were saying that we tend to watch a lot of horror films, uh, a lot of my year-round listening would probably come under the vaguely Halloween-esque banner. Yeah. Uh, so I have put together a playlist. It's taken me probably, I've been tinkering with this thing for <laughs> a couple of years, maybe three yeah. years, I think. Um, it's uh, currently sitting just over five hours long, which wow. is pretty hefty, but you can get through it. Uh, it's, uh, again, they'll be linked on the blog. Uh, I call it Samhain part one, nice. or you could pronounce it Sam Hain as they do. <laughs> Is that uh, like a there's South a, London? Th- there's an incredible, uh, song on it. I'm going to just have a little scroll through it. There's a song about Michael Myers, mm. uh, by a kind of, I can only assume they're a London based punk band because the lead singer has exactly that kind of accent. Right. And the, the first word he says, uh, when this kind of, it's like a, a, a vaguely psycho Billy-ish little mm-hmm. riffs. A lot of the stuff on this play is quite silly. For example, you've got, uh, the Undertaker's entrance theme by the legendary oh. Jim Johnston. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's this, oh, yes, it's by the Meteors. Uh, it's a track called Michael Myers and it starts off with this little twangy guitar riff and this guy just goes, Sam Hine. <laughs> <laughs> and he Great. tells the story. He tells like a really poor retelling of some of the various Halloween plots that Michael Myers is back again. Ah. Um, it's a lot of fun. I'd recommend that. So in and amongst that, uh, I don't know if you've had a look through this, but yeah. some of them a little obvious, some of them a little less so. Yeah, I think yours is more obscure than mine. You have probably a a, a, what, a, a wider taste in things than me. I have slightly more commercial taste in probably film and music. But um, yeah, a lot of mine are, are poppier things. You'll find some Shakira on mine or, or you'll find <laughs> some... Uh, I don't know, obvious choices like Michael Jackson, I suppose, things like that, things that you just can't really leave off. That I just right. like, I can't, even though it's, you know, I wanted Monster Mash, but I don't want that horrible um, version of Monster Mash. So I went with the Bonzo, uh, what is it, Doodah Band? Bonzo Dog okay, Doodah yeah, Band? Bonzo Dog Doodah Band, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I went with that one. Um, but yeah, the, my choices, I'd say, were slightly more more <laughs> obvious and poppy than yours. Your, yours may be a bit darker. Well, um, I mean, there is some, some very silly stuff in there. There's, uh, Elvira's yeah. two big pumpkins. Oh, right. Is that like older stuff too. You've got some more vintage choice. Yeah. There's, uh, uh, I mean, some of it's kind of cool, like the Sonics and then, uh, mm-hmm. but there's, yeah, some more like Bobby Bear and, and, and old like fifties, sixties doo-wop kind of cheese. But there's a, a song by this band, the Ghouls called the graveyard shift, which is like a really cheap, <laughs> like Poundland knockoff of the monster match. Oh yeah. I would recommend that one. That's that's cool. possibly my favorite. You will get it stuck in your head, and it will never. Leave. I thought it'd be cool to to listen to something like this and play a board game. You know any spooky board games? I didn't do any research on them, but um, um, I do sure. have a uh, uh, a board game which is uh, about a zombie attack. I think it's just called Zombies Exclamation Mark, and I no, never no. opened it, which is a real shame. I've, I've uh, I often struggle, as I guess some people might, to to gather a large enough crowd around my Halloweens. Um, <laughs> right. You know, I, yeah. I, I don't always like, uh, um, my, my partner is, is less interested. She has watched quite a few of these films with me 
one of which specifically we watched last night and we'll get into it later, but um, she liked it. Yeah. Uh, she's still not over it. Well, yeah, like my, my list of, of things for at least musically, I always wanted to play at a party or something like that. But whenever we've had people around, it just ended up being movies rather than just right. a, a party party. People tend to go out, like even here in Korea, they tend to go out somewhere in, in costume or something. Uh, but yeah, it's this kind of stuff that you've prepared and I've sort of put one together too. It's great for, you know, getting ready before you go out or a night in with a board game or something like that in the lead up to Halloween, whatever you want to do with it, really. Yeah, exactly. You know, just chuck this on, chuck it on in the background while you're around. Um, so yeah, so that's my, that's my Monday recommendation. Now, cool. It's five hours long, so it's probably going to take you a little more than just the one Monday evening. But, uh, right. I see that, uh, you have come up with a fantastic recommendation for our Monday warm up. Well, this is the first, uh, visual, uh, thing that we've picked. Uh, this is going to be Erie, Indiana. Uh, which was a show that I really loved and have watched religiously when I was, uh, younger. This episode is called Heart on a Chain. Um, it's from 1991. Uh, the Erie, Indiana itself is kind of the brainchild of, uh, Joe Dante, who, uh, we're probably both a fan of. Am I, am I right in thinking that? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. He, he was someone that, um, one of those names, those directors' names that cropped up very early in life, you'd see it on a lot of things. Um, Gremlins was a big movie for me. Um, the Burbs and Inner Space, which I'd love to do on the yeah. Rewind, uh, movie podcast. At I one think point. when I was, uh, when I was a kid, like Inner Space was a huge one for me. I don't it know. It seemed to be on TV all the time for, yeah. for people our age. It was just on a lot. And, uh, yeah, so this one I remember, Probably Saturday mornings. I'm not too sure, but, um, mm. yeah, it revolves around this kid, Marshall Teller, who, um, is kind of an ordinary boy in, in a, in a new town, uh, the town of Erie, Indiana, population 16,661. Little cheeky effort to get 666 into the opening credits, I think. But, um, yeah, weird things occur. Elvis lives on his paper round. Uh, Bigfoot eats out of his bins. What's wrong with this picture? The American dream come true, right? Wrong. Nobody believes me, but this is the center of weirdness for the entire planet. Thank you, little paper boy. Eerie Indiana. My home sweet home. <laughs> and, uh, you know, weird things happen every week and he, him and his friend experience them. And uh, this particular one was quite interesting. It's got Danielle Harris from some of the right. Halloween movies. Uh, she was a little girl in Halloween four and five. And she was also in the Rob Zombie remakes one and two. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's good to see her and the, uh, story, I, I suppose revolves around, um, Marshall's friend who is run down by a truck and, uh, Daniel Harris plays a, a girl with a heart condition who needs a transplant and she ends up um, getting the heart of Marshall's friend and they're kind of competing for her affection. And it's kind of a, a very delicate story that's done very well. And it sort of lends a new meaning to gifting someone your heart. She gets his heart in a, in a transplant, but she begins to take on some of his characteristics. Uh, yeah, it's a very, very well put together 30 minute episode and quite a memorable one. And on a few other blogs, I noticed that it was quite a popular one. So this might be a good place to start if you've never seen Erie, Indiana before. 
Um, I, I rewatched it a few years ago and I used to get a hold of a DVD box set from somewhere. Oh yeah. Um, I think it was possibly a German box set. I can't quite remember. Uh-huh. Um, but it had been a long time since I'd seen it and I was really impressed at how well the show was put together. Yeah. There was one other episode that I really liked that almost, I almost chose. It was a Halloween episode where they're babysitting and there's a, they, they show the kid that they're babysitting a mummy monster movie yes and the yeah. mummy comes to life and that one's actually set at halloween so it was a really close call between the two episodes but i went with heart on a chain i think that's fair i mean you've kind of gone with the uh with the one that you well, think is better made the other reason was that uh, joe dante actually directed that one he only directed five out of the entire run it only ran for right. one season i think but um i think there's about 16 episodes can't remember but he directed five of them and this is one of them so uh yeah enjoy that one that's cool i guess the the great thing about these shows that were kind of one and done is that um the quality control on them even though oftentimes the first season of a show can be a little maybe um yeah uh, up and down while they find their feet Uh um but you don't end up with so many kind of duffers really especially with something like this which has such a kind of focused um uh, setup. I don't mm. think you could really ring this out for four, five, six years. You know, no, like, and it, it's self-contained. Each episode you can really just enjoy on its own, and it also has that kind of vibe of Halloween that we were talking about. You mentioned it in a previous podcast about maybe not watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for example, on Halloween, um, although it might be an amazing film and uh, you know terrifically scary. It it doesn't quite spell out what Halloween means to you. Would that be right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I yeah. get that. Uh, so Joe Dante has a, has, has a bit of a, all of his stuff kind of has a, a vibe, which is just kind of off kilter, but still fun. <laughs> oh yeah. There's lots of references. There's even a reference to, um, the fly. We just discussed the fly on the Halo Rewind, uh, series. And, uh, there's a little cutaway in this one of a, a spider on a web and it just says, help me, help me. <laughs> like, this is the camera's passing. And I'd never yeah. noticed it before. Probably would never have got the reference or even heard it really when I was a kid, but there's, there's a ton of stuff in there for you to, to spot if you're a big horror fan. Ah, that's great. So, so that, that should, that should cover you all from Monday. Yeah. Uh, moving into Tuesday then. So this is, uh, uh, you're kicking this one off with a bit of a playlist. Yeah. This is just similar to what we were just discussing. Uh, this is my, um, effort at a, a playlist. Uh, I've sort of formed a, a website and a, it's not a real company, a real production company, but I put it on my recent movie, The Self Sea, as, as being a scary, scariest artist's production. Uh, and that sort of daft pun came out of these original CD mixes, um, probably about 10 or 11 years ago. Uh, it was just a silly pun on various artists and the idea of making scariest artists you know, and, and having songs like the ones I mentioned, what have I got here? Vampire Blues, Neil Young, Witchy Woman, The Eagles, um, uh, witchy, Werewolves witchy woman of London. Is, uh, <laughs> yeah, witchy Woman is a crossover I also have. I have, <laughs> yeah. I have the, uh, the, the Hollies version. Oh, right. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff on here. Casper the Friendly Ghost by uh, Daniel Johnson. Daniel Johnston, and you've got, um, you know, Mulder and Scully, Catatonia. It just goes on and on. And every year or so, I just added between 20 and 30 tracks to it. And conveniently, I did cheat a little bit, but it's come out as a 237, 237 Shining Fans. Oh, nice. Um, 
that's how many tracks there are in the playlist. I don't know if that will work in, in the YouTube one. Uh, there was a few tracks missing on Spotify that I couldn't find. So the YouTube playlist might be slightly longer with a few extra bonus ones in there. So y- it's your choice here. You can look at the YouTube playlist of music videos, or you can, uh, like we said, play a board game or just, you know, do whatever you want to do and put this on in the background as a, as an audio playlist. It's just a silly, like you said, silly bunch of songs, um, that all kind of loosely linked into the macabre. Yeah. Do you have a, do you have a standout? Do you have like a literal, like a one go to Halloween track? Oh, let's see. Maybe Echo and the Bunny Men, The Killing Moon, because it's probably the greatest song ever written, even if Ian McCulloch says so himself. That's, that's a great choice. And if you'll scroll down to the bottom of Sam Hain part one. Oh, we've, we've doubled up. Great. We have. We've crossed yeah, it's over. Actually, it's, it's the last track straight after Burn by The Cure. Oh, well, that, that'll lead you into mine from yours. Then that'll be a, a nice connection. Excellent. All right. For Tuesday, I recommended that we have a bit of a double bill. Ah, uh, um, yeah. What did you go for? Quite, quite short films. Uh, so this is the first of our double bills. Um, it's an unofficial outside the lines double bill. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not within your official timeline. It's not canon, but you okay. can still watch it. You're allowed. You're allowed yeah. to watch whatever you want, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I've gone with a, uh, it's a monochromatic double bill. Um, starting out with, uh, James Marsh's Wisconsin Death Trip. Nice. 1999, which, um, have you seen this? I have because of you, actually. Uh, I was ah. making a, uh, I, I talked about this on a previous podcast. I tried to make a vampire film in about 2010 and I made it on a clockwork Bolex on a uh, black and white 16 millimeter. And, uh, you know, I tried to load it myself, which I sort of failed at. And I also had a very unlucky lab error and I lost a lot of footage. And, uh, during that time when I was writing and maybe when I was filming, uh, you recommended Wisconsin Death Trip to me. Cause I think you'd maybe read my script or looked at some storyboards. Yeah. Or we'd, um, we'd, you'd, you'd been, uh, kind of filling me in on this when we were hanging out in the, um, I'm not sure if this was around the same time that we used to go to the Darlington Art Center all the time. And ah, it kids. was. And you, yes. <laughs> yeah. And you came and did a, a makeup test. My sister did a makeup test yes. on you and Gally. Uh, I think we discussed this on the fly. I think we mentioned it on there. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so you recommended this to me and that because it was kind of, I guess you probably looked at the store, the script and, and thought, ah, that might be an interesting way to do it. And, and when I saw the mm. film, I actually knew exactly what you meant. It's kind of vignette um, yes. you know, bits and pieces of, uh, of this era and it captures it very yeah. well on 16 mil, I think, black and white. It is um, some reversal stuff as well. So it's got a really kind of delicate, um, yeah. kind of look to it. It's, it's really, um, it almost looks like it's like it's fraying at the edges. It's a, it's right. an adaptation of a of a book, a nonfiction book, but it's by Michael uh, Michael Lessie, Michael Lisi, sure. okay, uh, from the seventies. But he's actually collecting together the um, photographic work of a late nineteenth century photographer mm-hmm. uh, uh, who's taken a, a bunch of photographs of a, a town called Black River Falls in Wisconsin over the course of a couple of years towards the tail end of the nineteenth century. It's very kind of hard scrabble. Uh, Scandinavian immigrant, mm-hmm. yeah. Around that time, obviously, America was was somewhat territorial right. in terms of which uh, which communities were being built up from which people from from various nations, mm-hmm. and um, that the winters there were very harsh, and people struggled to adjust to living 
in in that particular community and uh, mm-hmm. over the course of a couple of years you just hear these kind of linked but separate tales of just escalating madness and death right. and and all this kind of stuff and it's um it's really haunting last wednesday anna mayanik a 15 year old polish girl set fire to her employer's barn burning it with 48 loads of hay and then set fire to his house the next morning she burnt two loads of hay and set fire to the house twice the whole thing is shot slightly overcranked at about 36 frames a second i remember that and i also attempted that myself a bit there's a lot of slow motion mm. stuff in there this kind of dreamlike this idea of dreamlike uh black and white it was yes. uh, it was fantastic shot with no sound and then so sort of just creating mm. a soundscape around it by using um foley sound and uh, uh dj shadow does the majority of the music right. for it Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's fantastic. Um, James Marsh obviously went on to have quite a, a, a prominent career as a documentarian and made one fiction feature, which I also really like. Um, okay. Uh, so that kind of lead that, that led me towards Guy Madden's uh, Dracula: Pages from a Virgin's Diary, which is definitely one that I lent you probably at the same time. I think it was the same time. Yeah, you just thought, ah, these two will help him out a bit, or you know, give him a bit of a yeah. uh, a few visual cues or little things that might be an influence so yeah i remember you lending me probably these two dvds around that same era guy madden is a, is a really interesting filmmaker a winnipeg based yeah. um and uh most of his stuff kind of revolves around winnipeg uh, and this is the winnipeg ballet they've made a, an adaptation of the dracula myth mm-hmm. and um it's it's all shot in silent movie style so there are iris ins and iris outs there's tinting there's uh, these beautiful but extremely kind of theatrical sets. Um, things are made very lo-fi. Uh, I, I just I really love it. I think it, it might be, outside of um, Herzog's Nosferatu, it might be my favorite Dracula movie. Oh, really? Well, that's a good choice, I think, because I hadn't heard of it you know, prior to you lending it to me. And I think that would probably be a new one for a lot of people out there if, they, if they're into the, the Dracula story. Yeah, um... I went to see a ballet adaptation of Dracula a few years later in the um, a place called the Wilton's Music Hall out in yeah. East London, which may be familiar to fans of the Muppets Most Wanted. Ah. <laughs> it's the theatre that they move into. Mm. Did you ever go to Whitby and do any Dracula-related things? I've been to Whitby, never really did. I mean, I've been on, on Goth Weekend, but I myself was not gothing enough, <laughs> sadly. Well, that leads us then into... Wednesday. Okay, what have you got for Wednesday? Do you want to go first on this one, or shall I go first? Do you want to kick us off? Okay, I've got a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode to go completely yeah. at the other end of, of where we would be mentally. But this is the next day, New Day, Wednesday. So this one is obviously the Halloween episode. It's it's vaguely a Halloween episode because there's not too much in there. Every episode of Curb has, you know, usually two or three stories that kind of converge at some point with some brilliant writing um so in in this one it's a larry charles episode who i always find uh his episodes really kind of uh idiosyncratic and uh interesting you can usually tell it's a larry charles one because it's a bit odder than usual right um so in in this one uh, larry gets visited by trick-or-treaters but they're uh teenage girls and he doesn't see any costume of any kind and he refuses <laughs> to give them candy so the the trick-or-treat becomes a felony or treat when they um 
write bald asshole on his door <laughs> and uh, toilet paper his house, uh, which he you know believes is a hate crime. And uh, he also faces off against her devoutly Jewish father for whistling uh, Wagner, who was Hitler's favorite composer. Uh, he accuses Larry of being a self-loathing Jew. Uh, Larry says he does hate himself, but it has nothing to do with being Jewish. <laughs> Um, I remember yeah. that was one of the defining lines. Of that show. <laughs> they used to put that in every trailer. Yeah. Um, so as usual, no one sticks to Larry's rules. Um, uh, there's a whole thing with a, um, a side plot with a cob salad. Don't you remember that one? And, and I do, adult, yeah. there's an adultery joke that backfires. Um, but what's interesting about this one is that Larry kind of comes out victorious at the end of this, this episode. I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but if you're new to curb, this is a, a good one to to check out. It's quite out. early in the run, right? It is. This is season two, episode three, so it's from two thousand and one. Is it possible to find these girls and and maybe talk to their parents or? Well, by your descriptions, mm-hmm. dark hair, twenty years old. I mean, uh, you know, there's ten thousand kids who could fit that description. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I it was know. sort of Elvira-ish. She looked like Elvira. So you was kind of in a little bit of a costume, costume. there then, with the Elvira thing. No, that wasn't a costume. I'm just using Elvira to describe her, that's all. It's just a way to, it's a shorthand. They, they knocked on the door, they said trick-or-treat. Yeah, they said trick-or-treat, and... Um, and you had treats. Yes. I was giving out candy all night, but I, I don't have to give them candy. They don't deserve candy, and I don't deserve this. Bald asshole? That's a hate crime. We're a sect, we're a group. You can't call us bald assholes. I wonder what if we were gay. There would be gay asshole? That's a hate crime. So, yeah, that's... Uh, um bit of comedy there how about you what did you go for for wednesday well i thought that would be a a good way of kind of setting the tone so i've kind of gone vaguely comedic as well although maybe not uh as we were chatting earlier you said that uh kirby enthusiast uh as an episode features uh larry talking about an elvira-ish teen oh yeah one of the girls that knocks on his door um she's not in a costume but when he describes her to the cops he says she was elvira-ish and they say oh so she was in a costume he says no 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 she's just (laughs) elvira-ish she looked like elvira so yeah that might lead us into your to your pick here yeah i I thought well let's let's watch an elvira I, i bought a um this really fantastic uh, metal tin coffin collection box set. <laughs> if there's if there's one thing Elvira knows, it is how to merchandise. She yeah. is a machine when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, um, you've got to admire that sort of hustle, really, mm-hmm. to go from late night regional California movie host to essentially the unofficial queen of Halloween. Yeah. Uh, so we we had to. Uh, last time I, I, I suggested that we watch Elvira's, uh, Elvira Mistress of the Dark, a feature film yeah. that she made. Um, this time out, I'm saying we should watch one of her episodes where she does her, uh, cheesy red velvet sofa introductions. <laughs> um, kind of grabs one a bit at random, but, uh, I feel like cause depending on the, on the quality of the film, they can be somewhat difficult to get through. Some of these films are real real challenges right um for this one uh i just went with the terror which is uh notable because it features a young jack nicholson oh really what year uh it looks like it was around 1963 so a very young jack very young uh and uh uh credit and apparently directed by jack no in way. Hearts. Ah. In hearts. Is he, he's not credited, but he, he directed. Uncredited, it. as is, uh, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, also uncredited. 
Wow. Boy, if you would have told me that that guy who played the French lieutenant with the worst French accent ever would go on to win three Oscars, I'd have smacked you. And Boris, you should be ashamed of yourself, you senile, crazy old geezer. I mean, will you do anything for a paycheck? Why do you torment me so? Because this movie sucked. Apparently, it's one of these. It's one of these films that's um, it's vaguely Poe influenced, but it's not one of Roger Corman's uh, Edgar Allan Poe cycle. Uh-huh. It's outside of that. Okay. It's um, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a mess. I think they'll probably in a in traditional Edward style. From from what I, I can gather, Boris Karloff was in and out mm-hmm. in a day, mm-hmm. possibly drunk. <laughs> ah, I wonder. Um, the, there's a behind the scenes of The Shining. I'm a mega fan of The Shining, and in um, uh, Vivian's documentary, Vivian Kubrick, you can see Jack marking his lines um, on the script. For him to learn because they had new pages okay. every day kubrick's going nuts on the typewriter and yeah. uh he talks to the camera and he says this is how boris karloff used to mark his lines and he does oh, like, nice. a, a little tick under each um you know in, in the, the under the scene description and under the names he'd do like certain markings on there and he yeah he was sort of saying that's how boris karloff did it so maybe it was uh maybe they had a meeting early on very possibly, yeah. So you know, I, I figure that's probably one of the one of the good ones to to get hold of. Um, you know, it's a, it's an interesting film with an interesting bit of history behind it. Not that Elvira would give you much of that. She's no. generally just making puns about her tits. Well, wow, it's always nice awesome. to see her, and which uh, is always fine. <laughs> Yes, it's me, that vamp of camp, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, bringing you the best of the worst. Uh, or is it the worst of the best? Yours truly, Elvira, the gal with the enormous, uh, ratings. As a horror host who maybe doesn't give you too much information, Elvira is still a lot of fun, but a horror host that does give you a lot of information is Joe Bob Briggs, which is somebody that I very recently came to, to, to know about. He's a real cult figure in the States, but he never really had a any sort of uh, visibility over here. I don't know if you've heard of him. Why do I think I know him? Do you mind if I just look? <laughs> I do know him. It is him, right? He's a, he wears a cowboy hat and he does all of the, yeah. the horror documentaries. And uh, I think he was in that Shudder one that I recommended a little while ago, that big four-hour Shudder. See, um, that's, that's where, uh, that's where I found him. In Search of Darkness. Is it In Search right. of Darkness? Okay. And he was on there and... Uh, yeah, I can't remember what he was talking about, but he was talking about drive-ins a lot. Mm. I can't remember which film specifically, but yeah, he was, he's an interesting chap. And he's also yeah. in an image that I saw recently. I'm, I'm submitting my film to, my short film to horror festivals at the moment. And there was a, a drive-through related one and he was in one of the, uh, the pictures. I think he attended a previous one. I'm not sure I got into that one, but he, uh, yeah, he was there. So he's kind of, he does seem to be a prevalent kind of, uh, person. Uh, around yeah. uh, the drive-ins and horror and things like that. Well, yeah, exactly. So apparently he was another one of these kind of late night hosts and uh, there were several of them. I mean, a lot of the kind of great Halloween films that we, that we like when we're going back to Joe Dante, of course, in Gremlins 2, mm-hmm. you have the vampiric late night host. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I came to Joe Bob Briggs via Shudder as well. Uh, I signed up to Shudder, mm-hmm. the channel 
on Amazon Prime and uh, there was a whole bunch of this, The Last Dragon with Joe Bob Briggs and, and people were talking about it and I went and I, I watched a quick episode. I didn't really have any context for it. Well, so at the end of Soylent Green, I'm not sure whether Charlton saved the world or not. What do you think? I mean, he's yelling about it, but I don't think his boss is listening. Anyhow, that's a great movie from the 70s. And uh, I'm Joe Bob Briggs, and this is Monster Vision, and we're about to watch a minor cult classic called The Legend of Boggy Creek. And this thing has moments in it that'll just make you go, I can't believe I'm watching this. And he's this uh, very erudite uh, cowboy-looking fella yeah. who will sit in a trailer park. And the show yeah. is called The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. Nice. And he's really... Uh, engaging and really informative and he knows a lot of the guys who make a lot of these films and he's been around the whole kind of he's a, a horror scene guy for for many 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 years uh, most of the time when he introduces a film he usually knows several of the participants personally and um the first one of the 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 new shutter series that i saw that i found really interesting um was a film called the legend of boggy creek which i'd never heard of okay um, it's from 1972, I believe. And it's a, um, an independent feature purporting to tell the true story of some sort of regional beast in the woods of Arkansas. Ah. Uh, Arkansas is a place I've always found fascinating. I've got an aunt yeah. who lives in, in, in Arkansas. She has for a number of years and I, I've been to visit. And oh, really? It's a so, very, it's a very so what is the state. creature? What is the, the monster? It's a kind of, just a kind of bog man. Ah. Bigfoot type scenario. Well, this relates um, to us it, a bit. We made a, a film a little bit similar uh, in uh, yeah. 2007. I made a film at film school about a legendary uh, cat that roams the dales. It's kind of based on the Beast of Bodmin Moor, I suppose. That's the most famous one. But yeah, it's a um, it's an interesting story about this this film I'd, I'd never heard of, and it turned out that it was an enormous financial success when it came out, uh, mm-hmm. mostly around the drive-ins and mostly around the drive-ins of the region because everyone knew the the story. So this was a very enterprising film. It was really interesting. Um, so I would say check out the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs, but especially this episode because it's a real eye-opener as far as the the sort of the opportunities for making some some money in the 1970s with right. with a with a horror film. It's not an especially horrific film, but it is a really interesting one. It's and how is it kind of structured then? He just introduces it. He introduces it, and then we'll cut back and forth throughout. It's um, oh, I see. because this this stuff would have been on on late night American television, so of course it would be when you have to come in and out of an advert break. Same as with an Elvira, um, you cut the film up into segments, and then you have mm. host segments kind of scattered throughout. Oh, I see. Um, the host segments for for Joe Bob is uh, he will start telling you about a very specific thing that happened during production. Uh, in this one, they they even brought a a guy from the region. Um, who knew the, the, the true Ted in a book about the quote unquote true story. Um, they had a, a, a rambling chat. It ends with a song. Hmm. It's a, uh, it's a real kind of interesting. Yeah, very I'd love to watch that. It's yeah, great. He finished, he finishes one of his little tales. Yeah. And he'll say back to the movie <laughs> and the camera will drift away. And then he'll just start talking again. <laughs> for the next seven minutes, he treated to a very stream of conscious monologue about something that he brought up that he found interesting. Well, what would our equivalent be? I suppose it would be movie drum. Um, yeah, movie drum would have like been. That. I, I remember uh, the Mark Cousins ones more than the others, probably because of my age. I missed out on the Alex Cox 
yes era i think uh maybe i got the tail end of it but i I always remembered the mark cousins one he has a very specific way of speaking and his introduction to pulp fiction um is kind of burned into my memory but uh i've i've looked up a lot of the old movie drum stuff and it's terrific there's a there's two books available but you can kind of find them online um for free i think and they have all of these 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 short you know kind of similar to what we're trying to do on the blog actually with just a few paragraphs talking about the films and it was a great in to just things that we hadn't perhaps seen before or or heard about these this idea of cult films i think it was Mm. on uh it was a bbc show right i think it was yeah bbc2 quite late night and they'd have seasons and things like that and anything from the terminator to the wicker man and things like that it was it would just run run the gamut really so yeah i guess that would be the the british equivalent of what we're what we're talking about yeah um so if we move us into thursday sure uh i've got a a short film on thursday that i thought could lead into to your pick uh i'm not too too sure if they're connected in any way but maybe (laughs) maybe the short film should go first and the feature should go second but um my pick is china lake from 1983 have you ever heard of this one I've not. Uh, it's a Robert Harmon film. You'll probably know him as the director of The Hitcher. Um, and he made this as his calling card debut in 1983. He was a stills photographer and he wanted to break in to directing. And he thought, uh, I think he must have been about 30 at the time, maybe a bit younger, 20, between 28, 29, 30 when it was finished. And, uh, he saw this as his opportunity, saved up all of his money over the course of a few years. And, um, it's one of my favorite short films of all time. It's just terrific. Uh, it's got, uh, the darkly charismatic Charles Napier in the lead role. You might recognize him from some of Jonathan Demme's movies. He always puts him in there. Uh, he plays a character called Donnelly. He's a maniac motorcycle cop and he's going on a vacation um, up to China Lake and, uh, the, it's a 30 minute film and it just kind of explores the things that he, he does, the abuse of power. Um, he pulls over a woman, uh, and for no reason and humiliates her, makes her go through a, a sobriety test, even though she's clearly not drunk and, uh, locks her in the trunk of her car and leaves her there. And then, wow. uh, moves on to, it, it's kind of reminiscent of Duel in a lot of ways. Um, Steven Spielberg's TV movie. And it kind of has a very similar, um, uh, tone, I suppose. It's, it's probably more vicious than Jill. But, um, what's scary about it is that there's no motivation really for, that there's, there's no motive for, uh, his actions. He's a cop that's clearly been a cop for too long. Uh, and he's beginning to see everyone has been guilty of something. And he's kind of doling out these punishments. Take it easy, take it easy, take it as standard procedure. Now let's go, come on. Listen, I'm not drunk. What's well, the matter? You're... Yes, you are. I'm afraid you're drunk. Now let's go. Come you're on. crazy. Come on, let's go. Please. No, come on now, relax. Take it easy. What are you doing? Come on. I'm go. not drunk. You know that. What's let's the... go, lady. You have you driving drunk on the highways like No! You know? No! Um, there's another scene with, um, uh, in a, in a diner 
where uh, he encounters William Sanderson, who was in Blade Runner, and Bob Dylan's 1966 drummer, Mickey Jones, who moved into acting. Uh, and right. they play they play concrete workers, and he just he's disgusted by them. They're kind of like in a, a Travis Bickle style way. Um, he kind of that uh, there's this amazing kind of um, expressionist moment where he watches himself beat them up like in his imagination, and uh, put that he puts one of their tongues on a grill and uh, uh, beats them up. And but it's all it's all um, uh, fantasized. And, uh, he, he moves on eventually sees, sees them again later in the movie or sees one of them later in the movie and does a very similar thing to him than he did to the, to the woman at the beginning. So it's almost like a slasher film, but without any killing, really. He's just, um, a maniac cop, if you'll excuse the, the phrase. And, uh, yeah, it's a really terrific, gripping 30 minute film that's, that's very, uh, odd and, uh, has a, a terrific, a spooky tone to it although it's not not specifically halloween related yeah. or horror movie related it's very similar to the hitcher in that way i've heard the hitcher described as a horror movie but um that this is uh, it actually got him the hitcher gig so it, it's very similar in tone and yeah you can find that on the uh the momentum pictures dvd uh the double disc one and i think it might be on youtube with a bit of the music cropped out so we'll put that in the uh in the playlist if anyone wants to check it out. That sounds really fascinating. Yeah, well, I, I think you'd really like it, actually. Um, yeah. yeah. So check out China Lake from 1983. Uh, how about the the feature? You've chosen a feature here. I have. I think it's wildly unrelated, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I figured um, while we were going through the, the list, um, the previous uh, blog that I put together, I tried to kind of hit all the notes that you wanted to hit. You know, mm. I, I feel like... Um, in a sort of high fidelity, uh, ridiculously kind of, um, needlessly complex sense that there should be rules to putting together a, a movie marathon. Yeah. Even if they just exist in your own head, you need to, you know, you have to start with this, you have to take it up a notch, then you have to cool it off a notch. Whereas the films, right, right. You have to hit, for a Halloween list, at least you have to hit all the notes. And it's like, you have yeah. to do the kind of silly throwaway films. You have to do the fun. You have to do the something genuinely unsettling, something kind of really strange. Uh, and for this, I figured, well, there's, there's no hammer. And um, mm. when I was a kid, at least, we had uh, we used to watch quite a bit of hammer films when they would be on TV. Uh, I, I always liked them. I, I, there's something about the sort of sturdiness of them that I find fascinating. Yeah. Um, the they put such an indelible stamp on, on a certain type of horror film that, you know, as well as a studio, it's basically, it conjures up immediately an entire, um, visual and auditory, uh, sensation of what it's, what it's going to look and sound like and feel like to watch. Mm, well, um, I, I, I've was, actually, I was actually never a huge fan. I, I, they were always on TV when I was little and, right. uh, they never really gripped me that they never seemed too scary to me. And, uh, the vibrant colors and things, um, mm. but I, I, for whatever reason, it didn't click. So I'm really looking for an in to, to hammer. Okay. So would, would this one be a good, a good start? I would, yeah, I would recommend this. This is, this is my favorite of the hammers. I think this is, um, the one that, that probably, uh, leans slightly further away from the, some of them can be quite stodgy, which mm. I like. I find it kind of, um, kind of hypnotically relaxing to watch a lot of them. There's quite mm. a stately pace to them and lots of, 
uh, there's something about the way that the, the, the audio was recorded. It's really kind of, uh, <laughs> um, it's got a real analog quality to it. So it just feels really, uh, embracing, even though, you know, obviously terrible things happen, but yeah, with that really vibrant red blood everywhere. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Devil Rides Out has, um, this is from 1968. It's one of Terence Fisher's latest films, uh, one of his last films for the Hammer Studio. Um, it whips up the, the, the kind of the madness a little more. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's got an incredible score, which, um, you can hear a version of on my, uh, on my Spotify list as covered by Mike Patton's weirdo art metal project, Phantomas. Mm. Um, it's got a great score. It's got, uh, some full tilt Christopher Lee in it. Nice. Uh, it's got Satanists. It's got cults. It's got Baphomet himself making an appearance. <laughs> um, I think if, if you needed an in, this is a good one. This is it. There's, okay. There's right. Castles and horse riding and lightning. Oh, wow. And it's, uh, it's, it's a real kind of ladies. I don't know, I assume. Just, uh, there are. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and not so much as like a, like a Countess Dracula or something like that, but I believe oh. there are. So okay. it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real fun the, one. It hits all of the, the marks. Yeah. I would say if you want something that's just got a big kind of booming, like full capitals Halloween written across it, I would say yeah. this is the one for me. Do you believe in evil? That's an idea. Do you believe in the power of darkness? That's a superstition. Now there you are wrong. The power of darkness is more than just a superstition. It is a living force which can be tapped at any given moment of the night. Why? On one night of one year, should these people live in mortal fear? Okay, so that's uh, like yeah, like we said, they're all kind of uh, suggestions and uh, not necessarily pairings. I mean, some of them are. Yours are really good, actually. The 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 idea of uh, introductory hosts. And putting that together and, and the monochrome double bill is very good. So yeah, um, aside from that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday build up, we've got the real, the real deal coming up now. Now we're in it. And this yeah. was, uh, I think we can both agree that this went back and forth through a whole bunch of different up until yesterday, I think. Yeah. So, but yeah, you have to end it at some point and, uh, yeah, it's like George Lucas and we're making more changes. <laughs> Do you want to say why we chose these specific? these specific days we went with the friday saturday we did yeah um with it being on a weekend obviously naturally you would have assumed well let's just you know block out saturday sunday and we'll just watch a bunch of films mm. but i mm. possibly in the same way that um boxing day is not christmas boxing day mm. is a day for sitting around and feeling like <laughs> the, the, the calf sweats and that's yeah. it um and it sort of marks the last day of festivities. I think there's mm-hmm. something a bit kind of uh, anticlimactic about the day after Halloween. So I thought, well, yeah. why not, you know, take advantage. Take, I've taken a day off work. I don't. <laughs> I just, that's, I'm, uh, I'm working the Friday, so I won't be able to follow this one religiously unless I sort of push it over to the Saturday, Sunday. But yeah. I, as, as we said, if you, if you want to watch this for two days straight, I, I could not be more impressed, but uh, I doubt anyone will. <laughs> but it's just a bunch of recommendations that you can have and 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 grab Dip what you in. want. Um, yeah, yeah. So we're kicking off at 10 a.m. on Friday. We go 10 a.m. on Friday. So with your breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this was one, actually I, you've you've called it Devlin's spooky houses. I've called it Devlin's spooky houses! Exclamation <laughs> mark. Um, 
this was a recommendation that I, I took from you because uh, later on you're gonna you're gonna have a um, a haunted house double. So I thought, yeah, so this is like your your version of that, and I've got one coming up later. Yeah, I mean it's classic. I don't I don't think it would be possible to go through a, a Halloween without some form of spooky house. Mm. Uh, because we're starting at 10 a.m., I didn't want to start with everyone off with something too heavy. <laughs> there were a few options I could have gone with. Uh, Ty West's The Innkeepers was on here for a little bit, but okay. um, I felt like the best thing to kick off with was uh, House 2, <laughs> second story. Right. Well, my only reference of this is Scream 2 when Pacey Witter says, they're talking about sequels being better than the original, and right. he says House 2, the second story, and they all throw balled up um paper at him um, so and you know so i guess <laughs> he's the only one in that film class that, that thought, thought it did surpass the original but yeah i don't know anything about this one so why did you choose house Two, the second story i watched the house uh series relatively recently the last couple of years maybe um i had not seen it before it was a 1980s series um uh sean s cunningham hmm. and steve minor the uh, oh, the, uh, the uh, friday Trust. the 13th yeah guys um, they, uh, they moved on to this as a series and, um, the, the first film was, was very strange, uh, film about a, a Vietnam veteran, uh, who his kid goes missing mm-hmm. in his haunted house. Well, maybe his kid's already dead. I, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he starts to have these kind of hallucinations. It's a little bit poltergeist. There's a thing in a closet which sucks people in. Okay, this one is 87, part two. So yes. the first one is what, the year before, two years before? Uh, probably, probably quite quick succession. They turned yeah. these out. So yeah, it's, let's say 85. Yeah, so probably poltergeist inspired, I would have thought. I think so. I, Sean S. Cunningham especially seems like the kind of guy who would not leave money on the table. So yeah, yeah. if he sees something that he can take for himself, uh, totally. why ever not? Um, so how to see the second story is, uh, is the follow-up to that first film. The first film was very unusual, mm-hmm. um, slightly comedic tone, I guess, yeah. somewhat. It's not too heavy. House 2, the second story, takes it in just a ridiculous, it's a, it's a, a flat-out comedy film uh, starring Arya Gross. Okay. Who, uh, was an 80s face. He was in Ellen, which I don't know if we're allowed to talk about Ellen. Well, yeah, we have been silenced. I got an email from... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> from the internet. <laughs> yeah, I got an email from the internet saying don't discuss it. But yeah. Uh, he was he was the original kind of sidekick who was then replaced by Jeremy Piven. Jeremy Piven, who we're also not allowed to talk about. Ah, okay, we're not, yeah. Or his his hair um, transplant. No. Okay, he was going bald in Ellen in the nineties, but fair play to him. Um Could I confess uh, to I, fancying Ellen back in the day? Absolutely. I'm telling someone there was a forum for it. <laughs> I told someone at school and they would be like, really? Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, oh, yeah gross. Uh, oh, God, he's in Soul Man with C. Thomas Howell. Okay. <laughs> I, I had this thing about C. Thomas Howell the other day. I was writing this, <laughs> I was writing something and I, I remembered the uh, Kavanaugh's, the video shop that I used to go to having a, a film called One Tough Bastard. And I always thought oh. it was a C. Thomas Howell movie. And I Googled it to find out he's not in it at all. So yeah. I, I, I'm, you know, my world was shattered, but I, I've still never seen that film. But yeah, back to the, the Hitcher, C. Thomas Howell, the connection. Yeah, exactly. I once saw C. Thomas Howell sitting behind a trestle table at a comic con looking terribly sad. Oh no. Um, he's in it too, yeah, house, this guy. He, so, so House 2, the second story with Aya Gross, uh, yeah. 
John Ratzenberger turns up as an electrician. Oh, turned, yeah, turned part-time adventurer. It's just, it's it's nonsense. It's a confection. I've seen enough tragedy and disaster to make you want to upchuck in your shorts. Two friends inherit a fantastic house. Charlie, there's a jungle in there. And a 170-year-old mummy. Surprise! Who is this? You can call me Graham. It's very, very, very deeply silly. Mm. Not always in ways that it intends. Well, I mean, but uh, it's kind of um, it's kind of charming in its own ramshackle way. There's also uh, an appearance by late night douchebag Bill Mayer. Ah, uh, this is the first of two mentions of uh, uh, I think is it Bill Maher? Let's go with Bill Maher. Maher. Yeah, I heard Bill Maher. And I've, I've got a bit of a Bill Maher reference coming up later, so that will—that's a nice tease for that. Okay, so we, well, we've, cool. kicked, we've kicked off with something very, very, very silly. Yeah. And then I thought, well, the other kind of flavour that you want to add to mm. the to the overall confection that is a Halloween marathon is that you want something kind of a bit more stately, you know, like a kind of a prestige kind of uh-huh. ghost story. And yeah. uh, I went with the Changeling. Many films will frighten you, but only a few can really terrify you. The Changeling, an experience beyond total fear. Okay, again, I haven't seen it, but it's on. It's on that countdown. Um, it was on that recent Shudder countdown, and it's a. Uh, it's very famous for its trailer. Actually, it has a very good trailer. Oh, okay. Mm. You know, I've not actually seen it, but I guess it'll be linked in the YouTube playlist above. Yes, it's in there. Fantastic. Okay, um, so you went with something more stately uh, to kind of offset it a little? Yeah, it's a, it's a, a 1979 slash 1980, uh, depending mm. on your, on your release date specificity. Most people go with 1980. I don't think it really matters, but it's, it's mm. certainly got that kind of late 70s, like, the look, the sound of it, it's, uh, I, I, I guess I would put it vaguely in the sort of, in the direction of something like Rosemary's Baby, which is that it's a, a horror film that, that, that the, the, uh, you know, the Academy and the yeah. serious, the serious people could actually take seriously, you know? Uh, it starts George C. Scott as a bereaved, uh, composer. Okay. Um, his, his wife and, and child are killed, uh, in a, in an accident and he retreats to an enormous, definitely spooky, definitely haunted mansion <laughs> of in he does. Seattle, Vancouver substituting for Seattle, of course. Ah, the first of two times Vancouver substitutes for something in our list. Excellent. Uh, Aiden Dungate will be thrilled. <laughs> Hi, Aiden. It's, uh, it's, it's great. Um, I don't want to give away too much because it's maybe even though it, it at the time was was a was a big success and like you say it's on a lot of these countdown lists. I'm not sure whether a lot of people have mm. have kind of sat down and well for me it was just the name the, the name is uh, kind of uh, you associate it with the, the horror genre but again mm. I, I've I've never seen it and I've never had it broken down like that so yeah I'm 
very interested in in your uh, spooky house double bill. But uh, yeah, you've got another choice coming up. I do. Uh, so it's, sticking with spooky houses, uh, I have chosen a, a short film called This House Has People in It, mm. which is one of Adult Swim's infomercials series, ah, which okay. kicks off with the, I don't know whether it started with or just gained prominence with um, the infamous Too Many Cooks. Okay. Which, uh, have you seen this? I haven't seen this one. Uh, I've seen some Adult Swim stuff. I don't think I've seen either of the ones you mentioned. Okay. Uh, Too Many Cooks is a, is a comedy short, which becomes very disturbing. It's, uh, it's the ent- it's the credits music to a fake 1980s family sitcom. Okay. Uh, that, that just never ends. <laughs> so there's a really catchy theme long? tune. Uh, the, the too many cooks probably lasts for a, a similar amount of time, like 10 to 15 minutes. Um, oh God. so you have this, like this super jaunty, catchy theme tune of uh, too many cooks and it just keeps introducing new characters and they've all got, um, you know, their names showing up in front of them. And then it morphs from, uh, from a sitcom into a cop show, into oh. a cartoon, uh, I won't, I won't spoil it if you haven't seen it. I would just recommend it. Uh, this was a, a, a later entry. There's another entry which is um, called, uh, I think it's called Unedited Footage of a Bear, which okay. is fantastic. But I chose this just because it has a thematic link to what we're talking about. Um, it's uh, a short film set in a, in a, in a normal suburban house. Everything's uh, uh, under CCTV surveillance, very scratchy kind mm-hmm. of VHS levels CCTV. Um, and it just cuts back and forth between the rooms. And, uh, there's a teenage girl just laying on the floor of the kitchen, not mm-hmm. moving. And at first nobody acknowledges her. And then the parents start yelling at her and then everything becomes increasingly, uh, hysterical and disturbing. Swimmer obviously best known for for kind of absurdist comedy, Space Ghost, Coast mm. to Coast, and then uh, Tim and Eric Awesome Show Great Job was really the thing that pushed them towards this very kind of dark absurdist live action stuff. And these films are kind of a a continuation of that, but they they sort of have the cadence of a joke still, except that they're they're not funny; they're just disturbing. <laughs> and I really I really admire that. That's a difficult tone to pull off. Cool. So we've got these kind of four hour blocks. Uh, we decided mm. to do it um, in four hour blocks, like four hours each. So you've, yes. uh, you're almost at the end of the Friday, uh, 10 until two block. What have you got at, at the end of your choices? Here? I'm going to round this out with an episode of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Oh, wow. Mike stared in disbelief as his hands fell off. From them rose millions of tiny maggots. Maggots? Maggots. Maggots, 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 all over the floor of the post office in Leytonstone. Probably on balance, outside of The Simpsons, uh, uh, is probably my favourite television show of all time. It has the greatest shot in the 
the opening sequence with him holding the the baby and <laughs> diving away from an exploding <laughs> ambulance. Yes. Flipping over, <laughs> away from an explosion in a shot which never appears in any episode. Yeah, great. In, in a fantastic little in-joke that they injured that shot, it's just never used. Um, uh, this, uh, I've chosen the second episode, which is Hell Hath Fury, which is uh, uh, an episode which kind of riffs on, in a way it kind of riffs on uh, Maximum Overdrive. Okay. Stephen King. <laughs> the cocaine-fueled Stephen King yeah. Directed, uh, it's, it's a, it's telekinesis meets, um, meets maximum overdrive. So, uh, uh, Liz, the new yeah. doctor, because she's just a woman is, <laughs> uh, is constantly belittled by all those around her and it makes her develop, uh, uh telekinesis. Uh, it's, yeah. it's just very silly and, and the kind of parody whereby it, it succeeds because of its obvious palpable love of what it's parodying and also that it's just so specific the details of the mistakes uh, that yeah. are clearly orchestrated mistakes really make it the the yeah the details are terrific and yeah. it's a richard iowadi directed it is yes uh, richard iowadi directed he created the show with matthew holness who's another kind of uh, uh an office favorite as well. yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> um a guy who's kind of uh um Richard Iwado has obviously gone on to a, a career in directing and he's also a writer and a producer and, uh, and uh, a presenter on TV. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas Matthew Holmes is kind of, we're going to mention him later, what he's yeah. been up to. Um, but, but yeah, he's, it's, it's, I think much as with Erie Indiana, absolutely for the best that this was a one and done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think that, I also don't think that there's any point in, um, in continuing on with like different, you know, different takes on this or, or taking yeah. on different genres or whatever. I think it is what it needed to be. Yeah. Uh, which moves us on Friday at 2 p.m. Oh. And as we just mentioned, The Simpsons. Yes, it's a Simpsons episode. We've got Treehouse <laughs> of Horror. I've gone with uh, number six, uh, purely because it has Nightmare on Evergreen Terrace, which relates to the uh, double bill that's going to follow. Uh, so this one's from 1995. Uh, it's kind of three pronged as they all are. Is that right? Are they all three episodes? I believe so. Yeah. Three kind of segments within an episode. Um, yeah. The episode two, the reason I chose it is, uh, um, it sees groundskeeper Willie as a, a Freddy Krueger style bad yeah. guy who, uh, is kind of, uh, comes to being because he, uh, Homer <laughs> turns up the heat in the school uh does it say <laughs> willie don't touch and homer is cold because it's uh just oh, no, smart. Do, yeah do not touch willie yeah do not touch willie and then he, yeah. he turns it right up and and um yeah willie is incinerated and uh it creates a freddy krueger style villain in springfield and all of the kids mm-hmm. begin experiencing him in their dreams there's like a he turns into a tractor at one point and a giant spider and uh, he uses his own tools like, to kill, to, to attack them with. He has a rake and, uh, what else does he have? <laughs> Hedge trimmers and things like that. And he's, he's attacking the kids in their sleep. It's all just Freddy influenced. Uh, the yeah. biggest laugh comes when Martin is killed in the class and he's kind of frozen <laughs> into a, into a deathly position and his, his, the sheet is accidentally kind of ripped off in front of all the kids and they see this dead body. Wheel him out quietly. It's best the children don't see him. 
Oh, just get it out of here. Not into the kindergarten. That's the reason I chose this one. Uh, I know you chose The Shining last time, though, The Shining. I did, yes. Uh, so, yeah, I couldn't go for that one. But this this one relates to the double bill coming up. Um, the other segments are quite interesting. The other one is, uh, the first segment is Attack of the 50-Foot Eyesores, which is where all of the advertising characters in Springfield come to life and start eating and <laughs> devouring people and attacking. And it all starts when Homer steals a, a donut from the, the lard lad. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, the best moment in that one is when Chief Wiggum shoots the captain of the basketball team because he thinks he's one of the giant <laughs> monsters. Uh, and then the, the final segment is an odd one. It's, it's called Homer, Homer three. Uh, I, I, I reference of, I watched this, this episode not long ago and I, I actually really <laughs> love that. <laughs> it's really weird. Nothing really happens too much apart from it being an odd Tron like virtual third yeah. dimension thing but the the coolest part of, of it is and why it was nominated for some awards i think later is homer is kind of he breaks free into the real world and walks down the street and it goes into an erotic cake shop so yep there you go um <laughs> it's a great yeah. button on an episode just the words erotic cakes like all that <laughs> all of this that we've gone through is just so that we can hear homer say erotic cakes <laughs> <laughs> exactly so yeah that's uh i, I think you've got to have a um treehouse of horror in there yeah so yeah that's ours for this for this year and it leads into um a freddy versus jason double bill um of course the the freddy versus jason itself was dreadful so i've kind of made (laughs) an improved version uh, here one of Um, the lesser members of destiny's child takes great (laughs) (laughs) oh okay well uh night when elm street three dream warriors is the one i went for um you know Part two is hilarious, um, for, you know, but I, I just couldn't choose it. It's not a particularly great film, but, um, three, aside from the original is probably my favorite of the bunch. Uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare has a, has a special spot, you know, somewhere cause it's very inventive and kind of the precursor to scream in many ways. But, um, yeah, nightmare three is excellent and, and <laughs> cause it's so dumb as well. Um, <laughs> um, the, there's an excellent trailer with, uh, uh, the nine, 10 Freddy's back again, a uh, very sinister voiceover. Um, Patricia Arquette's in this one, and she's a very welcome addition. Um, Heather Langenkamp is back. It's kind of soundtracked by Dokken. Uh, at least there's one Dokken wow. song on it. Um, yeah, it's kind of like a Freddy flew over the cuckoo's nest, is how I think of it. And, and each of the kids has these psychological disorders, and they're all visited by Freddy and killed in a, in a manner that relates to their um, disorders. So there's a, a girl that's addicted to drugs and she comes to an end, uh, via, a, you know, uh, this Freddy's- is the infamous, uh, <laughs> hypodermic fingers. It is. It's the syringes on the end, the end of yeah. uh, Freddy's, uh, the syringe claw. Um, there's another Dungeons and Dragons. I'm spoiling it all here. There's a Dungeons and Dragons kid <laughs> who gets put in a, like a, a wheelchair iron maiden. That's crazy. And then there's, uh, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. There's a, there's a mute kid that, that is, uh, literally tongue tied. 
Um, <laughs> it's, it's all, um, quite interesting visually, quite sumptuous visually, um, re- really inventive stuff at times. And it looks very pricey, like when compared to the second one. It, it's mm. it's got a lot of more money behind it, I think, and it was a big hit. I think it's also got a lot of uh, big names attached to this one. Frank Darabont was was part of the scripting process, and right. Angelo Badalamenti did the music. And s- someone else that gives it a bit more gravitas is uh, Lawrence Fishburne, who appears as the wow. hip nurse uh, Max, <laughs> as if you needed more. There is a Poundland. Uh, Bill Maher that we mentioned earlier. Uh, oh. It's not Bill Maher. It's a guy who looks like Bill Maher, but you get it's all of, all of the smarminess, um, yeah. even though it's not the real Bill. Even though in 1987, you could have probably got Bill Maher for a pound. I'm sure. I think he was probably doing his stand up or something at that point. He was, but, he was in, uh, he was appearing in house two, the second story. Oh, of course he was. was that, same year. Same year. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Well, th- there's a bunch of stuff to like here. There's, there's some Harryhausen-esque, uh, animation and there's a claymation Freddy at some point. Uh, Mark Showstrom was involved. Uh, he did some Evil Dead 2 stuff. He was on this. Um, uh, there's a Dick Cavett and a Jaja Gabor cameo and lots <laughs> of interesting killings. And there's even an appearance, even though it's brief by, uh, the late great John Saxon. So. Wow. That's some good stuff. It's been a long time since I've seen any of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street except the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, so three, I really don't remember it very well, but it's been on my to-do list for a long time just because um, the director, Chuck Russell, made The Blob straight after the remake of The Blob, uh-huh. which we mentioned recently uh, when on we the fly. on The Fly. Again, yeah. a, a great 80s remake of an earlier um, kind of 1950s horror hit. I think The Blob is fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Well, that links us all in again. We've got, we've got some good ties going on here between our choices and recent rewind podcasts too. So that's quite cool. Um, uh, the next choice is Friday the 13th. We needed a Jason to, uh, yeah. to compliment our Freddy. And I've gone with, uh, part eight. <laughs> so you can jump <laughs> in at part eight here. Uh, Jason takes Manhattan. Will people understand the very delicate context <laughs> and groundwork that was laid in, in parts one through seven? Uh, yes. Th- this one starts out with, uh, kids making out on a boat and, uh, Jason is under the water and in, in, still in Camp Crystal Lake, I think. And, and he's, uh, shocked back to life yep. uh, by a power line, like Jaws 2 style. And he, uh, ends up coming up to the surface. Uh, he, so he was, he was, uh, sunk under the lake in, was, it's number seven, the one with the, um, the telekinetic, the telekinetic girl. Yeah. She, yes. she wrecks the, the jetty. Yeah. Like she killed a father the same way. And, and, and Jason falls down and is buried under a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, boards from the jetty. And I think he's chained up too or something. Uh, but yeah. he, unless he was, unless he was chained up at the start of, seven and mm. then released and then buried it's it's a it's a tricky oh, timeline there's another one where he's on a yeah he's on a uh a, like a a boat a rowboat and and he's chained up and the yeah. weight the weight pulls him down but i can't remember which yes. one precedes eight so it's i think it's telekinetic girl then there's another one where he's chained up and then, it, okay, and then it's yes. eight. But I'm not, I'm not too sure on the timeline either. But anyway, he's under the water and a power line shocks him back to life, obviously, even though he's been shot through the head. I don't know how many times uh, yeah. in the, in the previous installments. But yeah, he, he, uh, 
he manages to get up and get free again. And it's a really good looking, uh, Jason in this one. He's in mm. throughout this movie, he's kind of toxic waste glossed. He, he's really built and he's got barnacles all over him. Yeah. He's, uh, are you, um, are you one of the, cause I, I'm not especially, but I know that this is an argument that rages online where people will talk yeah. about, you know, which is, which is the true Jason and people, I assume this is Kane Hodder. This is a Kane Hodder, which was, uh, uh, I always associated with him because I had a, I had a movie magazine a long time ago around the time Army of Darkness came out. And I, I got this movie magazine and it had a, a whole segment on, on Kane Hodder. Uh, whatever our equivalent of Fangoria was, I can't remember the title, but, um, yeah, th- th- he, he moves in the same way, uh, you know, Nick Castle. Uh, moves as the shape in Halloween. He's, he's right. got, he, he really personifies Jason, even though we don't see his face. And when we do see his face, he's hideously deformed in this one. <laughs> by, by part yeah. eight, he's just, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's not a pretty sight, but there's, there's a great shot. <laughs> there's, there's a shot later where he takes off his mask and there's a bunch of like street punks in, in Manhattan. He takes off yeah. his mask just to frighten them. And it's kind of all done off camera. And the kids just go, okay, man, okay. And they put their flick knives away and just run off. Um, but th- this one's an unusual one. We, we had a, a screening like one or two years ago with our friend Max from, from California. And he, um, had some serious issues with it. He was wanting to see Jason in New York as the title sort of promises. <laughs> but what he really got was Jason on a boat for, you know, an, an hour and 20 minutes. And yep. then still a little, you know, sliver of Jason taking Manhattan at the end. So I, again, this one, the budget wasn't quite big enough to do, um, what the director wanted. Um, yeah. he wanted to have also, all these elaborate scenes on a, on a cruise ship yeah. to, they take a cruise. That's how he gets there, right? When he, when he wakes up, when he's there on a boat. That's right. It's a graduation cruise. So you've got all the teenagers yes. there graduating from a, from a lake. <laughs> That's right. Oh, he, he, the, the kid, the kids were making out on a, on a boat. He kills yeah. the kids and somehow, uh, the, the boat kind of floats beside the, the, yeah. the Lazarus, which is the, the name of the large ship. And he manages to kind of swim over and stow away on this, uh, this ship and he kind of stalks everyone who stalks the captain and all the kids. And there's a, like, like a, a herald character as there always is saying that everyone is doomed and you're never going to live to the end of this. Jason <laughs> is, Jason is on board and, uh, it's really daft. Um, there, there's some, uh, how many killings, if anyone wants to know, how many kills? there's a lot and there's some very interesting ones. There's a shard of mirror glass, stabbing there's a there's a someone gets barbecued on like an electric um like power unit thing uh someone gets impaled on a on a ship's mast there's a choking on a dance floor someone gets a coal uh, a red hot sauna coal pushed through their chest um there's a bunch of stuff someone gets their head punched off <laughs> it's, it's, it's excellent. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> the, the later you go in the series, the more they sound like they were written by a really fucked up twelve year old. So yeah, this has got everything. The, the, the director wanted to do a lot more originally. Um, he he wanted that there to be a scene in Madison Square Garden with a boxing match that turns into something a bit cheaper on a rooftop. Uh, in the final film, um, they wanted Jason to kind of rampage through department stores and Broadway plays. 
and uh, like jump off the top of the Statue of Liberty wow. and all these uh, Brooklyn Bridge and things like that. But it, it all, it just, they just ran out of money, I think. And they, you know, they ended up being completely restricted. So it, it's the idea of this one. I'm choosing it for, for what it might have been. I've called it a toxic wasted opportunity. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind of, it's what it could have been. Uh, but for some reason, as flawed as it is, it's still my, my go-to Friday the 13th. Um, it's the one I always return to. We, we had a, a guy at college called uh, Dave who used to stand at the end of corridors and breathe like Jason. Uh, he, he was obsessed with these movies and I think he, he was quite keen on this one. So maybe he was an influence in, in choosing that too. So yeah, that, that one's for Dave. You're all gonna die. The last ones. He's come back for you. What the hell are you talking about? Jason Voorhees. You're insane. Jason Voorhees has been dead for years. He came down the river and he's gotten on board. He walks the ship here and now. Yes, a killer walks this ship, all right. And it's certainly none of us. What are you, what are you doing? You're the one who's insane. So yeah, that's that's the end of my uh, Freddy versus Jason uh, double bill. So that takes us through to Friday six p.m. Is that right? Yeah, Friday at six. Um, I figure you know around this time of the year, that's when things start to get you know a little dark. Mm. So we've had um, uh, we've had a very silly throwaway film to to kick off on my on my bit, uh, and then followed by a very weighty kind of emotional trauma ghost story, which is a real genre favorite of mine the emotional trauma ghost <laughs> yeah. uh and this this pick ended up being one of the most unusual ones i think i, I didn't really pre-plan to pick anything like this at all although it does relate to something that me and you have talked about previously alongside galley where um uh this is a uh, cure from 1997 which is uh from kiyoshi kurosawa uh-huh. who we talked about Pulse director, the Cairo director? It is, yes, the director of Cairo. This is an earlier film of his. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I love Pulse. We we had an interesting chat about it. I know that uh, both you and Gally had some very valid um, uh, criticisms. Yeah, but film. I'm keen to see something else he's done, though. I, I think, honestly, there's a lot more here that you would like. Mm. Uh, I think it's it's... It's probably something that, that would be more in your wheelhouse. Um, it's, it's not particularly, you wouldn't probably immediately associate it with being a Halloween film. Mm. Uh, the, the tone of it is, is very unsettling, uh, and quite serious. Um, even though at, at times there is an undercurrent, uh, an undercurrent of very, very dark, very dark, ironic humor to it, but it's, it's mm. little glimmers. Um, as a genre, it probably sits more comfortably as a a slightly hallucinatory uh, psychological thriller. Okay. Um, more than anything else, uh, it's quite grounded. There's no, um, there's not really a supernatural element, although there is uh, an element of the uncanny hmm. uh, involved. Um, there's talk of you know, did the devil make them do it? It's mm. uh, they, it's quite sardonic the way they talk about it, but the more the film goes on, uh, the deeper you get into just a very um, uh, a, a very strange headspace. And I always really like that in films where they can genuinely change your 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 mood for for however long. Yeah, um, it's the story of a, a 
detective in uh, Chiba, possibly, or Tokyo. I think mm-hmm. they, they mentioned this in part of it takes place in Chiba Prefecture, which is just outside of Tokyo. Um, and uh, I'm trying not to not to spoil too much of it because I do think that it's a thing that, that again, as much as Kiyoshi Kurosawa does have a, a pretty strong reputation internationally because this is a slightly earlier film and it's not one of your more easily saleable uh, stories. I think probably more people have seen Pulse because it can fit more comfortably in that kind of J-horror spooky ghost thing. Yeah. Whereas uh, this is a story of... Was this um, one ever remade or was it? does it... Oh, no, yeah. luckily this this one has has remained uh, 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 untouched. Um, which, although oddly, I guess it does have more in common with uh, with with sort of American genre cinema, in that you could probably place it just vaguely in the direction of Seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but Seven, for all of its kind of very very heavy weighty atmosphere and all of the kind of sense of dread that it that it conjures up seven is put together like a, like a watch, like a Swiss watch. Uh, yeah. Finch is always very meticulous and things make sense and things, things set up and pay off. And there's, um, there's irony in it, but there's like dramatic irony. It's really depressing, dramatic irony. Cure kind of the, the further it goes in, the more it, it sets you adrift in its story. It, it starts to make you figure out what's going on. And, um, it's the story of a, um, it starts with a man walking home, uh, a, a salary man in a suit. He walks home, he walks under a, an underpass and pulls a, an iron, um, pipe off a wall. Mm. He walks into a bedroom. You see it just played out in silhouette. Uh, he murders a woman with it mm. and then he carves a very deep X into her throat. Mm. Um, and afterwards, he admits to the crime, but doesn't know why he did it. And okay. this kicks off. Uh, we find out that we are kind of in media res in the middle of a, a, a little flurry of this kind of thing. And we are left to kind of wonder what exactly is going on. He's uh, guided by voices in a way. Well, this is, is uh, this is, I guess, um, don't give it away. I, I've given away yeah. too much on mine. You're doing very well. You just tease uh, this, this is what the, uh, so essentially, yeah, you get a series, a series of, of, of murders. I see. Um, and, uh, and a kind of mysterious character floating his way through the story, but it's, um, it's a real heavy kind of, this incredible sound design, which is just really unsettling. I, it's something that's probably later been maybe overused, maybe used to death. It's kind of like the idea of just using droning sounds to, to accompany a, a scene, but most of it is motivated. And that's the great thing about it. It's really, it's really scaled back. It's very few characters and very realistic locations and nothing. It's just, uh, Kurosawa is just a, a kind of a master at creating an atmosphere without doing too much. So, uh, but the reason I, I picked this one is because this little subsection is called programmed for death. Yeah. Uh, and the next film that I picked was on my list literally from day one, uh, which is, uh, Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett's The Guest. What happened? Uh, I got into a fight with some guys at school. I'll teach him some self-defense when he's feeling up to it. Well, what are you going to do? Nothing bad. Ah! 
for the damages. Never let anyone pick on you. Here, you keep it. Ms. Peterson, are you sure you're comfortable with me staying here? I think it could be a good thing for us. You know, I promised Caleb I would do anything I could to help your family. It's the first film I saw of uh, Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett's, uh, but they had gained some level of notoriety for Your Next, which I later saw and okay. very much liked. Uh, but this Your Next was was kind of a again a blackly comedic, but you don't want to call it a comedy horror because I think that's a misnomer. Yeah, it's more a uh, it's it's a horror film that understands the genre and is playing with the genre. Mm. Uh, the guest is very similar, but. Uh, as much as it has elements of horror in it, it's probably more of a, like a straight to video action thriller. Okay. Yeah. The guest gets on a, um, an ex soldier played by Dan Stevens, okay. who I didn't know of, but most people did know of as the, uh, one of the stars of Downton Abbey, mm. which is probably not a show that's on either of our radars. No, no. Um, but, uh, apparently he was one of the breakout stars of that. Um, he played like a kind of, you know, a, a, some sort of fey upper crust Englishman, I guess. I assume everyone played that. Okay. So he's playing uh, against type here. That's part of the. Absolutely. Yeah. He's playing American. He's buffed up. He's like got this kind of chiseled grizzly look to him. And he turns up at the, uh, at the house of, um, the parents of one of his fellow soldiers who was killed in, in, in action in Afghanistan. Hmm. And he says that the, the soldier had told him to look up his family if anything it should happen to him. So here he is and he's here to help. Okay. And you know, he's a kind of, uh, a handsome, charming man. So they let him in. And of course he knew that he knew the son and he says all the right things, but there's something very off about him from the start. Mm. Um, and as the film progresses, it's not really a spoiler to say that there is something wrong with him and a lot of kind of, we head towards a kind of action thriller carnage conclusion. But during along the way, you've got a lot of very interesting insidious little scenes. The reason why I picked it here is that um, both of the creators are on record as being huge fans of my all time fave uh, Halloween three season of the witch. Ah, Okay. Uh, so that is where the connection comes in. They basically, they, they set the film in New Mexico and they've shot a lot of the exteriors to look a lot like the exteriors of, uh, Santa Mira. Ah, okay. So this is kind uh, of your substitute. You're not, you're not choosing Halloween three this year. You're sticking the guest in there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, so it's got this kind of dusty, it's quite sunny and dusty, but it is, uh, it's set at Halloween. There's pumpkins everywhere. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the conclusion of the film takes place at a, like a high school dance, which has been decorated to look like a, like a Halloween party and very prominently decorated with the three masks from Silver Shamrock. Ah. Uh, so it's just a lot of fun, uh, as, as a film. It's a really, really well, again, a really well put together film by much as with Dark Place, although Dark Place is a flat out parody. This is more of a kind of, genre synthesis or genre pastiche, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, there's heavy John Carpenter influences, the score, especially it was one of the, one of the earliest songs to kind of jump on the synth wave, dark wave kind of, uh, um, comeback. Uh, a lot of the score is done by his band called survive mm-hmm. two of whom later went on to do the score for stranger things, which was massively influential. Okay. Uh, so it's a, it's a really great, really fun, but very satisfying, 
kind of film. It's got atmosphere and it's got um, a great look and a great sound to it. The mm. atmosphere for this one is very different to Cure. Um, Cure will will unsettle you in a very profound way. And so I kind of picked the guest as a bit of a kind of flip side palate cleanser a little. Okay. Bring you back up because I honestly think if you watched Cure too late in the, in the <laughs> series, I think you would be kind of bummed out for quite a long time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's my programmed for death double. Nice. That's the, the connection there is that Dan Stevens character, again, no spoilers to say that they've done something to him mm-hmm. and that, you know, perhaps his actions are not his own. Ah, okay. Um, but as a, as a real palate cleanser for all this, I couldn't really think of a thematically appropriate short or TV episode that kind of linked into this. I was maybe thinking of like, uh, anything to do with like, you know, hypnotism or, or, or kind of suggestion, but I just went, um, I love a bit of Tales from the Dark Side. I don't know if you've watched a lot of that. I haven't. I'm sort of aware of it. It's on the radar, but I've, I haven't watched a lot of it at all. We're quite lucky here in the, um, on the horror channel. They have basically been replaying it two episodes a day. Ah, a you've got times. the horror channel. Okay. And they're quite short. They're quite brief episodes. They are little 30 minute episodes, uh, self-contained stories, anthology series, mm-hmm. um, kind of cashing in on the whole Tales from the Crypt, EC comics. Uh, yeah. Maybe even like the segments of Creep Show. It's, um, mm. you know, 20 to 30 minute horror is kind of a staple. It allows yeah. you to get your premise across without having to get too dug into anything. Yeah. Uh, and I've chosen an episode from season two called Halloween Candy. I wanted to get back because most, neither of my films have been particularly Halloween focused, even though one of them <laughs> set Halloween and one of them will mess you up. Uh, yeah. the other, I don't know, I wanted to get back into, back into something a bit very seasonal. So Halloween Candy is directed by Tom Savini. No way. Uh, sex machine. Always sex machine himself. <laughs> Uh, and, and, uh, as the name would suggest, uh, uh, concerns a grumpy old bastard who doesn't want to give out any Halloween candy on Halloween. He doesn't want to is, get is he in it too, things. or only director? Only director. Okay. Uh, for this one. And, uh, yeah, it's just about a, a grumpy old man doesn't want to engage with the trick or treaters. Mm-hmm. And thus, uh, all of these plots, all of these shorts, um, they all follow the same the same pattern, don't they? You know, it's like the, the ironic twist ending, mm-hmm. uh, often relating to somebody needing to be taught a lesson. Yeah. They're like a little, uh, a little instructive fable. It goes all the way back to the, kind of the early, early days of this stuff. Um, and this one has an especially good, uh, kind of oddly sobering and slightly sad twist, but mm-hmm. I guess the, the whole episode itself is kind of a little bit silly. So you, you don't get too dragged down in that. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, look out for the costume on your lead creature. Okay. Because if you have seen Creepshow, uh-huh. the, the first George Romero movie Creepshow, uh, you will recognize it because they recycled it because they didn't have <laughs> There's some great stuff we should put in the, in the playlist with Savini on David Letterman. He takes oh, all yeah. of his, um, you know, creatures and and you know makeup effects and things and scares the life out of dave letterman um it's really good there's, there's several installments that someone's put uh, sort of compiled it all on youtube i'm glad there's a savini appearance here because i was for a while I, I wanted to do a zombie four hour thing okay. um, and I, I was sort of contemplating day of the dead and uh, maybe savini's remake of okay. night of the living dead because I, I really like his remake 
Um, not just because it's in color, you know, I'm, I'm partial to black and white, but, um, and Romero's is obviously the one that started it all. But yeah, I, I really like what he did with that, with that remake. It's almost, um, it's almost a carbon copy in, in many ways, yeah. but he, 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 you know, furthered the effects a little bit more, I think. And also the candy men's in it. So, you know, that was a, yeah, I, I've never actually seen it. So I, I would have, Th- that's worth I, a look, you know, if you fancy a, fancy a zombie one this Halloween. So Halloween candy was my kind of, let's get us back on track. Let's get us into something a little bit kind of traditionally Halloween. And uh, it ended up accidentally, I guess, being a kind of a, a nice little inroad into your next block. Yeah. Um, you went with spooky houses. I've got Matt's haunted houses of horror coming up next. Uh, it's, it's got a, better alliteration. <laughs> it's a double bill. Uh, again, haunted houses. Uh, we're going to start with Sam Raimi's Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn from 1987. Four years ago, in this quiet forest, in this cozy cabin, something happened. Something so frightening. Something so deadly. Something so evil. We prayed it would never happen again. Now, from the creator of Evil Dead, comes Evil Dead 2. Uh, I went with this over the first one because it's just funnier. The, the first one kind of terrified me. And the <laughs> second one terrified me, actually, too. Um, Henrietta is absolutely just, it's so disturbing in so many ways. Um, but, um, yeah, I saw this one at school. Um, with my friends Rob and Phil and Will, uh, after a night out, we were 15. We used to go to an old man pub called the Talbot. And, uh, I remember running home one night because it was so cold. One of them suggested that we run home because it was so freezing. And, uh, and then I was sick over a wall. So I don't know if it was <laughs> this night or a different night, but, um, it was that group of lads and it was, I remember it because, uh, I can remember specifically because it was the first day I ever heard Eminem's song, uh, My Name Is on MTV. So I could wow. locate, uh, the exact time, which I <laughs> lost in front of me, but you know, it doesn't matter. The, uh, it was a quite a funny film, but we kind of took it very literally and, uh, even though we were probably like 15, almost 16, we're still quite scared by it. Um, and, uh, it's a terrific film. It's got, you know, a mile a minute pace to it. It's got so many great camera moves and, uh, Sam Raimi's just a genius behind the camera. And it's one of those films when you, you see how it was filmed as a, as someone who wants to make films, you think, Oh, that's, that's how it's done. You know, there's some crazy stuff in there, like the, uh, the Ramo cam, uh, where the camera yes. goes through the, the, the back window of, uh, Sam's Oldsmobile and then out the, the windscreen. They had it on like a long ramming, uh, pole and, uh, took several shots and took several takes to achieve, I think, but it was really great. Uh, there's kind of mistakes in it. Um, it, it feels like, uh, you can feel the hands on set is the way I put it. It's yeah. like you, you can, you can feel like it was made by people. You know, the stuff on the wall. The, you can see the top of the flat sometimes. You, you can, the yeah. The, <laughs> you can. The, the, they were tilted up slightly too far. and you, It was shot in a, a high school gymnasium, I think, and you can see all of the, the, the top of the set there. 
but it, it doesn't matter at all. It's just uh, has a really amazing energy to it. And I think it's, it reminds me of a cartoon in many ways. It's like one of the first times I, I saw like the vision of a director uh, articulated really brilliantly uh, using all of his influences and, and putting them into a, a new context with all the Three Stooges stuff. Um uh, Bruce Campbell's performance is amazing. It rivals Chaplin and Keaton and Tatty and yeah. all of them for me. I think it's, it's amazing. Um, the, the, the way it's designed is fantastic. You've got, um, KNB's involvement, which I guess, you know, the Savini was on uh, Dawn of the Dead and he was on, was he on Day of the Dead too? Uh, that was, I think that Nicotero sort of took over with a lot of that stuff. On, on Day of the Dead, but they're all kind of, it flowed out of that. Um, one of the movies that almost made it in was Intruder, um, which we talked about on the From Dust Till Dawn podcast because it had the Kurtzman connection and the Tarantino connection and the Lawrence Bender connection. So if you're interested in, a, in an 80s slasher, uh, Intruder is a very interesting one. But um, here, Evil Dead, um, it, it has, like we said in the Freddy um, Freddy three, it's got some Harryhausen stop motion. Yes. Um, it's, you know, it, it's all pre CG, obviously. Uh, you didn't, you can just feel that there were people making it. I really love that. Um, you've got, um, this bridge matte shot with uh, great matte paintings of the upturned claw. Uh, there's some hokey blue screen stuff going on, some time lapses. Um, but you know what what kind of results is this really powerful um like a comic book or an animation it, it has this energy to it that's just unsurpassed really i i think it cracks my top 10 films ever mm. um so uh again we we mentioned high fidelity earlier so i'll i'll do it again here to quote jack black um you should see it because it's a brilliant film it's so funny and violent and the soundtrack kicks fucking ass yeah and uh if you disagree, you're a, a cinematic idiot and I feel sorry for you. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Evil Dead 2 is the first installment of that. Uh, and then I went for a very odd one that, um, uh, Bill Hader, I think was one of the first people who talked about it. I saw him in that criterion closet. Right. On, yeah. On he's wearing, he's wearing his t-shirt, right? Yeah. I, I'm not sure if I'd seen it before then. One of our friends, um, screened it at Halloween. She was a big fan of it, Kristen or, and, and my friend Kat had seen it too. Uh, it's usually girls who really go for this one. Um, uh, it's called House or Hausa or Hausu. How do I pronounce this one, Chris? You lived in Japan. Uh, I, I, I think all are welcome. Yeah, Hausu. Hausu. Uh, from 1977. House. <laughs> Uh, and this one is, I, I don't know if I should even attempt to explain this one. There's, uh, <laughs> it, it's completely crackers. Um, a bunch of uh, Japanese high school girls, uh, go to one of their aunt's, uh, haunted mansion and yep. are gradually picked off one by one in, in, uh, insane ways. There's a piano that eats people. There's a demonic cat with green laser eyes. <laughs> what more do you want? <laughs> 
It's uh, <laughs> there's a head in a well that bites asses. Yes, uh, there's a, a, a sort of watermelon thing, watermelon theme going on. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, interesting stuff in it. Uh, there's some backwards motion hair in a bathtub. I remember. Um, yeah. Kind of, uh, it accompanies Evil Dead Two for me because it has it has a lot of similarities as far as the uh, the haunted house theme. There's also the uh, someone's hair being shocked white, uh, which was uh, oh, yeah. is, is present in both. This one's a very difficult one to talk about because the meaning of it is quite kind of ambiguous, I guess. Mm. And uh, you, you kind of have to. Um, we, we we had a movie screening it's like of it. An experience, isn't it? It it, it is. Experience. Only you can can see this one and decide for yourself whether you're into it or not. It, it's just it, it's balmy and. The, the, pe- the people who watched it at our our house when we screened it, like last Halloween or the Halloween before, um, it were divided. Some thought it was so silly that they couldn't enjoy it, and uh, and others really went for it. So uh, if if you like uh, practical effects, again, a lot of in camera stuff uh, with mirrors and uh, great sets and interesting photography. Yeah, it's got colorful filters and kind of a drawn on animation. And again, the thing that ties it to Evil Dead 2 is that it feels handmade. It's yeah. got all this impossible surrealist uh, imagery. It was made by a commercial director. Um, uh, he had all of the tricks of the trade from his commercials that he'd been making and uh, all these studio painted backdrops and uh, the performances are very odd and over the top. Uh, they break the fourth wall. There's a singing cat. It's got cannibalism, illusions. Uh, it has uh, like a psychic chandelier battle. Um, there, it's one uh, of those great rare occasions whereby it's everything that you've heard it would be. There are often a lot of these films where people will tell will tell you like, "Oh, it is crazy," and then it often these things are a bit of a not so much a letdown, but you know they promise a lot and they deliver a little, whereas this is just it delivers, right? Yeah. And, and probably the most fascinating thing is that the director's daughter, uh, Chigumi, who was 10 years old at the time, actually came up with a concept and it's, it's like a kid's dream or a young woman's dream. Right. And it has this nonlinear thing going on. Um, it, it's just all over the place, but in, in such a fantastic way, it has a dream logic to it. Yeah. Um, and it's just unlike anything I've ever seen. And, and when you see it and it, and if it does click with you, it will, will become like a, a real part of your, your life and certainly a go-to for, for Halloween. So that's why I went for, for house. So that double bill was originally Evil Dead 2 and Intruder, which led into my next choice, but Intruder got scrapped in favor of house. So, um, my next choice is kind of, um, slapsticky, but we're, we're going back to old, uh, blighty for this one, uh, at 12.55 AM, roughly, if you, if you, playing along with us you should be watching the young ones episode uh nasty uh have you ever seen that one Dave? uh i've seen all of the young ones but it's been such a long time that i don't remember it so well well this one's all related to um uh them borrowing a video recorder uh i mean it was from oh, okay. 1984 so it must have been one of the really early video recorders and uh they, they borrow it from uh harry the bastard as they say <laughs> and uh they're, they're preparing for an all night, um, uh, of orgy of extreme video nasty violence, uh, watching 
you know films in the in the vein of driller killer and stuff like that so right. um there there's a, an appearance by uh, Lexi sale as a south african uh vampire he's gonna get us he's gonna turn us all into vampires and we'll all be dead and yet still alive like leonard cohen <laughs> he's bound to bite me first i'm obviously the most succulent right mr vampire mr vampire uh, it's filmed in horoscope, as they say. That it's got cameos from Chris Barry of uh, Mr. Britass and uh, oh, nice. Red Dwarf fame. Uh, Dawn French pops up. Uh, Halen Pace. Uh, well, I know you're keen on you. You often reference Halen Pace. I, I mentioned them in the uh, in the Fly episode because yeah. they had uh, they they'd. They've done a, a fairly terrible sketch based on the play. <laughs> and, uh, Terry Jones of, uh, Monty Python fame, headbutts them oh. into a grave. That's always good. Uh, I, I remember this one. Um, uh, I remember going to London. I can't remember how old I was, but we went to London and, and we went to Harrods for the first time, which is like the poshest shop I've ever been to. And of course I gravitated straight to the, to the videos and there was this wall of videos that was just enormous. It had everything you could possibly ever want to see tv and and film yeah and i had my pocket money with me i had to choose what i wanted and i came away with the young ones uh double vhs of series two which has this on it and uh, a copy of die hard 2 uh but it had this anamorphic widescreen uh Mm -hmm. die hard 2 and it was uncut so i was really happy to get this uncut version of it finally but once i got it home it it was and i watched it on my little portable it was sort of squeezed into into this tiny letterbox. Oh no! Uh, so I could. It was too. It was too heavily anamorphic. Yeah, it was too anamorphic. If anything, and the black bars were enormous, and I just barely see John McClane <laughs> or anyone else. So yeah, that was a bit of a shame. But yeah, that that one. Uh, this this one's a real Halloween vibe. It's got uh, yeah. the Damned uh, performing uh, their song "Video Nasty." Yeah, um, you know, they often do that with, they have a musical act in the middle of the episode. They've got talking hamsters. Yes. They've got, um, uh, n- there's a great line where, uh, Neil, the hippie says, uh, s- someone asks him, uh, do you dig graves? And he goes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, they're all right. <laughs> so, uh, there's kind of very eighties, uh, BBC, classic BBC stuff from, from Rick and Aid. And, uh, that leads me into the next one because you can't have young ones without bottom. And Bottom has a particularly good Halloween episode called Terror. Uh, it's uh, season three, episode two. This one's from 1995. Uh, Richard Richard and uh, Edward Elizabeth Hitler uh, are uh, sort of, they come up with this scheme on Halloween. They're visited by three devils at the door, these little kids who are trick-or-treating, and, and they come up with the idea to get cash and no sweets from uh, people in the neighborhood. Uh, Richie dresses up as a, as a devil. And uh, Eddie are talking <laughs> Halloween banana because they ran out of pumpkins. Eddie? Yeah? Oh. Why are you dressed as a banana? They didn't have any pumpkin outfits left. <laughs> Give me straight one. Well, you just have to make pumpkin noises. All right. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. You just have to be mute. What, a, a mute pumpkin or a mute banana? <laughs> shut up, shut up, shut up. So uh, they go around the neighborhood uh, beating up old ladies and stealing their money and uh, they get mugged themselves. And it all kind of turns into this thing where, where Richie wants to sell his soul for money and sex. And 
you know, uh, Eddie ends up slashing his wrist. Spud Gun and Dave Hedgehog make an appearance. It's brilliant. It's a, and, and I always loved Bottom, like even more than the young ones, actually. Uh, that was more my, my era. Um, yeah, I, I, same for me. I think we were sort of coming of the right sort of age, what, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, we were the perfect age for Bottom, but you know, some people were the perfect age for young ones, so maybe they prefer it, but, um, I, I saw Bottom first, I think. Um, so, and particularly as Rick Mail's no longer with us, I thought this would be a really nice, nice tribute to Rick. Uh, who yeah. probably made me laugh more than anyone else in, in the mm-hmm. world. Um, yeah, I love Rick Mail. So, um, yeah, that's the end of, uh, that kind of BBC, classic BBC slapstick violent, uh, Halloween. That's a re, that's a really good block. It's a really like fun, entertaining four hours there. I hope so. I think that's maybe my favorite of the bunch. If I could choose one block to go with. Yeah. I might go with that one purely for just for the fun of it. And there's a little bit of everything in there. Um, yeah. So now we've reached Saturday at 2 a.m. Yeah. What are we up to now? Well, I mean, obviously you should probably, if you are doing this, which of course none of you are, if you were, you should probably go <laughs> to sleep. Uh, as, as I mentioned before, there's a Sam Hain slash Sowen part one Spotify playlist. So in here I would drop in part two, which is another five hour. Ah, yeah. Epic chunk. Uh, this one, I, I actually am, a, uh, quite partial to. This is kind of, um, this is more of a, I guess, like an atmospheric playlist. Oh, um, some soundtracky things on there? Kind of. Although there's only really one soundtrack, which is, uh, of course, my man Carpenter with Alan Howarth with Halloween oh, yeah. Three Seasons. Who you've Witch, seen live. I did, yes. Uh, uh, both, both of them. Two mm. years, uh, two years apart. Um, but Halloween three is, is my favorite of their scores that they collaborated on. Uh, I just, I really like the sort of the slightly more abstract nature of it. It's more of a sound bed. Yeah. Um, the rest of it is there's some Cocteau twins on there. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, uh, there's some kind of atmospheric black metal. There's, uh, some kind of spooky folk, like goth folk stuff. It's, um, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of interesting one. I, I, I do like this playlist. Um, so I mean, yeah. And, and because it's a little more kind of, um, atmospheric and a little less funny vampire werewolf songs, it's probably something that you could sort of drift away to in the weird hours. Yeah. Well, we thought about TV shows too. Like you mentioned the Munsters hmm. would be a good one to sort of, uh, have on in the background while you sleep. Absolutely. Or, yeah. Were you a Munsters guy or an Adams family guy? Uh, for TV, it was the Monsters. Uh, for the films, I love the Adams Family movies, oh, but I've, uh, um, out, outside of the out of, uh, the two Raul Julia movies, I've not really seen much of the Adams Family at all. Yeah, the other ones that we thought would be quite disrespectful to play while you sleep were <laughs> Vampire and uh, uh, or Vampire. I've, I've heard it mm. called Vampire. Guillermo uh, del Toro says Vampire, so I'm copying him. Yeah, and the uh, Hexen. Yeah, the yes. Caldrier and the uh, Hexan Witchcraft Through the Ages, which I love. Again, it's another, I keep going back to this idea of things being handmade and I hate CGI. So, um, mm. yeah, I love Hexan so much. So things like that you could put on, it'll freak you out if you wake up and look at the TV. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Just, just fill your, uh, your, your ambient surroundings with things that are going <laughs> to shit you up real good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which will mean that when you wake up at 10 a.m., you're going to need something to lift your spirits. Mm. Literally spirits because ghosts. <laughs> Very good. I've, th- this one got swapped out a hundred times. Um, and really, if I'm very honest, made the cut because I'd already drawn the art. But, uh, yeah, this one is going to be a four hour Ghostbusters special. 
for all those 80s kids out there. Uh, we're going to start with the 1984 movie. Uh, I love this one so much. Um, I've, again, probably cracks my top 10. It's quite embarrassing, really. that you, As a film student, you don't really want to say Ghostbusters is in your top 10 films ever, but this may be. Um, I think... I think surely people will understand that it's, it's just so well done and it's, and it's been proven to be really hard to do this because not many other films of this ilk have this sort of staying power, right? No, I mean, this one has big scares. I remember being, well, I always say Tarantino talk about, um, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein or the mummy as one of his early influences because it was scary and funny. And it was the first time right. he'd ever seen that. And, and he thought this is the greatest thing ever because it has both genre elements together. And, uh, this is like the, the Abbott, Abbott and Costello horror movies for, for us in the eighties. It has real genuine scares, like the ghost in the library at the beginning. Yeah. All the stuff with the dogs is quite scary. Um, yeah. So it, it doesn't pander to kids and, you know, it, it's the, the cool thing. It's too cool to care. If kids follow everything, if you look at like the very loquacious, uh, Dan Aykroyd, who I, I talked about in my Dragnet blog a little bit, he's very good at delivering these very long, um, monologues with, with, uh, with extremely, uh, sort of verbose, uh, he's very verbose. He has this enormous vocabulary and yeah. uh, it's all very carefully written and delivered. And I didn't know what half of these things meant when I watched it, but, um, it, it doesn't try and pander to kids and and it it pays off because you just end up thinking it's just it's too cool to care yeah and uh uh so yeah this is a good one for adults and kids alike really um you've got egon who collects spores molds and fungus (laughs) you've got them uh drinking on the university steps or all these amazing uh things that dana are these the eggs is one of my favorite lines (laughs) obviously the eggs uh bill murray is amazing um You've got all the stuff with the proton packs. I remember having, uh, I don't think I had the proton packs as a kid. Did you ever have any Ghostbuster toys? I did. Or like that? Uh, I had the, um, I had the jumpsuit, the boiler suit. Oh, you did? Which I remember very distinctly. I, I must have bought that when I was like five, six, six, maybe, maybe seven. Uh, yeah. I remember it was around then because I just started doing a karate class. Ah. And because I was only uh, a wee lad. And obviously, you know, most people, uh, I went to karate with my brother and my dad. My dad turned up in a purple shell suit. Okay. And uh, I turned up <laughs> in a Ghostbusters boiler suit because I thought that was <laughs> So it's my first karate class with uh, uh, my what, what ended up being my secondary school. It was in the gym there. And, nice. and But yes, I did have like a very cheap kind of just vac-packed, vacuum-formed plastic um, proton pack. You know, with wow. the big foam? Yeah, I do. Yeah, it was a yellow f- foam that stuck to it. <laughs> The Darth Vader. Do you remember the Darth Vader toy went with the, the little red extending lightsaber uh, yes. that comes out of his wrist, like very pathetic. It was almost reminding yeah. me of that. But yeah, I didn't have that one. I think my friend had the proton packs. I was more into the action figures. At one point I had all the Ghostbusters and I had nice. the fire station, which I got for Christmas. And oh, you could uh, put slime through it. You could put slime through it. And then, you know, it, it got very, difficult to clean and the slime got very hairy and yeah, it got, yeah. you know, dusty, but the, uh, and I had Ecto one and, yeah. and I remember I had a slimer too with a, he had like a, he came with a pizza and a watermelon and I was really into Ghostbusters and 
th- there's some really dark stuff in this one. You've got Ray's sort of ghost fellatio dream, which always gets <laughs> cut out of the TV version, but it's, it's, you know, it's in there. Uh, there's a very scary bit in Dana's chair where the, the, the dogs kind of hands come out of the chair and grab her. That was very influential on, uh, like our recent short film that we made, the, the kind of dark, shadowy hands coming out and attacking. Mm. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff in there to love. Um, the, the SNL guys were at the peak of their powers. Uh, all, all of the, the ghost stuff comes from Ackroyd, his family, family business, he calls it. Uh, I think his grandfather was very into the paranormal. Um, I see. Cause yeah, I, I had heard that he's the one that brings, you know, I mean, that was his, his later, um, public persona will bear it out that he is very much the one who takes this extremely seriously. Yes. And that's, that's kind of echoed in his character too, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- there's another thing that uh, John Candy was originally going to play the Lewis Tully character that, um, Rick Moranis ended up playing. Uh, that would okay. have been interesting, but yeah, th- th- I think it's sponsored by marijuana to a certain extent. I think that when they wrote it, uh, Ivan, Harold and, and Dan were all, uh, uh, getting stoned at Dan's beach house for the summer. It all, it's all born out of that. Slimer is a, is an homage to, uh, John Belushi, kind of, even though the, 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 the guy that designed it said he said he based it on Belushi, but didn't really. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fantastic film that I've, I've watched several times. I think it's got that good, um, uh, Halloween energy. It's perfect for, for the vibe that we're talking about. Um, great soundtrack. Um, and one of my favorite moments is where the, the Ghostbusters kind of emerge from the, there's kind of an earthquake outside the building and they all fall into the, into the ground. And then they all kind of come out and the crowd cheers for them and they all start chanting Ghostbusters. It's like moments like that that you, you know, you can't really replicate. It's, uh, um, a real gem from childhood, I think. Yeah. What I'd really like to do is talk to Dana. I want to talk to Dana. Dana? It's Peter. There is no Dana. There is only Zulu. Oh, Zulu, you nut now. Come on. Come on, I want to talk to Dana. Dana. Just relax. Come on. Dana. Dana. Can I talk to Dana? There is no Dana. Only Zulu. What a lovely singing voice you must have. Um, yeah, and that one leads into Ghostbusters 2 from 1989. It's, it's a lesser film, certainly. But, uh, it's, it's still got some merits. It's, uh, you know, you've got Ray returning. He's got his, uh, occult books store. Uh, Bill Murray is still very funny. His, uh, his, his first appearance in the, in the TV show is, is that's one of the best bits. Yeah. I put that in the playlist, the, uh, the world of the psychic. Elaine, now you had another date in mind. According to my source, the end of the world will be on February 14th in the year 2016. Valentine's Day. Bummer. This was, uh, this was the one I saw first. Uh, oh, really? When I was a kid, because of course it came out in 89. So I actually went to the, I doubt I would have seen Ghostbusters before I saw Ghostbusters 2. You saw I did two in the cinema? I did, yes. Yeah, it would have been like five, uh, I guess. Um, it, yeah. I think it must have come out. Of, if not exactly the same time, a very similar time to Back to the Future, either two or three. Mm. I want to say two. And I remember queuing for both of them at the ABC in, in Darlington. Right. So I think part three and, is 90. So that'll be right. Maybe part two, 89. 
Yeah, I think so. And uh, I just, the, um, the Winston, the train going through Winston just just stuck with me so much. (laughs) Well, my first film at the cinema was, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, nice. think was 89 i'm not sure yeah i think i yes so i I don't know if i saw ghostbusters 2 at the cinema i'd love to think i did but um i i can't remember yeah there's of course vigo the powerful magician in the in the painting that um it was quite terrifying as a child and there's an there's another point where oh well we actually had a teacher that i called mr burton who uh we used to call vigo uh vigo burton (laughs) uh because he i guess he resembled him a little bit uh, the scourge of, <laughs> what is it? The Carpathia. scourge of Mold- Carpathia, the something of Moldavia, the sorrow of Mold- <laughs> Moldavia. Yeah, we used to do a lot of quotes like that. So hi, Rob Hawthorne, if you're listening. Um, and then the other scary part was that the chap from Ali McBeal, when he, he gets possessed by Vigo and, yeah. and becomes a baby snatching kind of ghoul, uh, flying through the Manhattan skyline. Um, so yeah, there's some, again, like the first one, there's some genuinely, creepy stuff in there but it's it's lighter than the first one i I think it's just a nice pairing if if you're filling two sorry four hours of ghostbusters stuff i think you've got to have ghostbusters one and two uh i don't really care too much for anything movie wise that followed jury's out on that the the the, uh, jason reitman one Mm. uh that's going to be coming out soonish but yeah, uh, so I had a little bit of time left to fill in my four hours. So I went for an episode of the real Ghostbusters, uh, the cartoon, uh, which is called The Hole in the Wall. Sorry, The Hole in the Wall Gang and, uh, relates back to Evil Dead 2 because it's another haunted house, um, kind of piece, uh, where there are holes in the wall of the Limburger cheese mansion i remember all of these words <laughs> i used to love this show i used to love the cartoon when i was a kid it's great is this right it's it says season two episode 65 how many episodes That's in a season that is um, insane. Uh, i know it's sourced from japan the animation is genuinely creepy yeah. and uh for some reason the ghostbusters don't really look like they're real life counterparts and i was always mm. puzzled by the title the real ghostbusters because it's anything but really but yeah. that actually comes from uh, again it's in that there documentary was the, the there was the, um, yeah the, the they had like a big kind of almost like a like a wacky racist style car big wooden <laughs> wheels on it and there's a and there's an ape right in the ghostbusters i think there is yeah i, I know like, janine is back uh but mm. then for some reason there was a monkey in the well this in the i thought this was this, well, I thought this was, um, so the Ghostbusters, the one that they had to, they had to call it the real Ghostbusters because there was already an animated show of the Ghostbusters. Oh, wait, you mean there's a monkey in the other one or is the monkey in the in real Ghostbusters? In the other one, yeah. Oh, there's yeah, a monkey yeah, in the yeah. other one. Like a kind of weird, I'm just, I, I got a visual. There's, there's these picture books I used to have as a kid. And then I'm sure there was a cartoon of it. Well, I've never uh, seen that one, but it's, it's made by Filmation who owned the right. rights to the title, certainly. Yeah, uh, and, and I'm uh, pretty sure they churned out a cartoon after the success of the Ghostbusters. And of it was a the, money spinner, yeah, definitely. So yeah, they, they felt uh, the need to call this one the real Ghostbusters yes. to emphasize that, which I never understood, but finally got it now. Um, yeah, the, the the character is very strange. Like uh, Venkman kind of sounds like Garfield. He's kind of uh, it's very the strong. same actor, Lorenzo Music. Is it really? It is. Yes. Oh, well, I should have researched that, but yeah, well, it, should, it proves my ears work anyway. And, yeah. uh, Arsenio Hall plays, uh, Winston. 
Uh, he's probably the biggest name attached. And, uh, Egon's hair is for some reason blonde and sort of quaffed in a, in a very yes. unusual it's way. Point to it. Yeah. And Ray sort of looks like, like Aykroyd a little bit. Uh, and for mm. some reason they made the cost, the, the uniforms different colors. I thought maybe that was a marketing thing for the action figures or something to make them mm. sort of di- differentiate between them a little. Uh, I remember Slime the figures of the, in this one. of the, of the, the cartoon figures being very different. Possibly yeah. there was actually a, the, a lot of the action figures leaned more towards into the animated show than. I think the, they did. Yeah. I think they did. Yeah. Uh, it's got a, a Peter Lorre esque character. Um, mm. who sort of delivers his lines like Peter Lorre. Uh, the, the, the whole concept of the episode is there's holes in the walls and the ghosts are coming through and the bigger the hole, the bigger the ghost. And you yeah. end up with this giant kind of ghostly monster at the end that they have to try and, um, send back to the spirit world. It's got all kinds of cool references. There's a Miskatonic University, um, Lovecraftian reanimator reference, uh, some Dracula nods, um, you know, just, uh, canted framing and, you know, uh, long shadows. It's all very, very well animated. And I always loved this show. So, um, I thought it was a nice way to round out the, the four hours and keep it Ghostbusters related. So yeah, uh, real Ghostbusters, really? the hole in the wall gang. Uh, I'm actually really looking forward to rewatching that. Yeah, yeah, you should check that one out. It's in full on daily motion, so uh, there's a link in the blog. If you click one of the the highlighted words, it should take you to daily motion. Uh, So we're up to Saturday now at 2 p.m. What have you got for us? Well, um, what I liked was, uh, so the slot that you were just talking about, which is Ghostbusters, was also at one point potentially going to be a Joe Dante slot as well. Yes. Ah, so, have I thrown you off with my, uh, no, change? no, it's a, it's a good thing because tonally it's, it's quite similar in the, um, they're kind of like, they're, they're sort of fun, uh, a little scary, but more in the kind of, you know, the, the fun, lighthearted side of Halloween. So I thought I would, um, change the tone, kind of flip it completely and go for, uh, a, a little series I've called Portals into Weirdness. Okay. Uh, I'm leading us in with the, with, I guess you, you can really call the film itself lighthearted. <laughs> um, but given that, um, so we, I, we hadn't yet picked anything from Italy and no. I don't feel like any horror marathon would be complete without indulging in, uh, in some, some Italian macabre. Yeah. This, this is uh, your, uh, this is your area. But last time out, I picked, uh, uh, Mario Bava's Black Sunday. Okay. Which I always really liked, but I, I didn't pick a Bava this time out. I also didn't go with a, um, with an Argento. Uh, I like a lot of his stuff, but I can really think of anything that I was desperate to put in into this slot. So I felt like it had to be Fulci if you go for the, uh, you know, the, the heavy hitters of Italian horror. Uh, again on Halloween and again in the same place I saw Alan Howarth in, the uh, Union Chapel in Islington, I saw uh, Fabio Fitzi, the composer, uh, performing on Halloween night. Yeah. Doing a, um, like a mashup of some various scores that he made. He called it Fritzi to Fulci. Apparently he's been touring this for years. Like, uh, just this kind of really elegant, older Italian dude with beard. And he's got his little band around him and stuff. And he plays this crazy horror disco and with, uh, with, with reels of the film playing. And I was aware of a lot of Fulci stuff, mainly, um, uh, zombie flesh eaters, aka zombie two, mm-hmm. because everyone, I think probably by now is, is aware of the fact that he dressed up a stuntman as a zombie and chucked him into a water tank with a live shark. 
That's right. I would have loved to do that, but I something about um, zombie flesh eaters didn't feel again particularly Halloween esque, and mm-hmm. I, I wanted to go for something that had maybe a little more weight to it. So I went with the Beyond, which I think maybe I don't know if it's my favorite, but I think it's probably the most accomplished okay. of the of the full cheese. It's um, it's a uh, a film concerning a young woman who inherits a hotel in new uh, orleans wow that does tie into uh the real ghostbusters yeah big spooky <laughs> so it's got big spooky creepy gothic kind of haunted hotel and she's trying yeah. to fix it up and uh terrible things keep happening and it's because in the pre amble prologue sequence we've seen that there's a um an artist living there and he's making these very strange paintings and he is dragged down into the basement now apparently according to the internet you can't have a basement in uh new orleans because it's below sea level and Ah. Uh, but to be fair, this basement does get completely flooded. So maybe it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, and this guy is killed ritualistically and walled up in the basement. And then p- perhaps a hundred years later or 70 years later or something like that, uh, while she's renovating this hotel and trying to get it open, of course, weird things keep happening. And, uh, there's a recurring image of the, uh, the, the room buzzer in room 36 going off. Mm-hmm. But of course, nobody's staying there. What's no. doing it? Oh, and cool. there's a, there's a strange uh, pair of um, like the help, the hired help, kind of skulking around the place, and horrible accidents befall people. And like all the great Italian horror of the seventies, and this is 1981, so we're just kind of creeping into the eighties here. Uh, it combines a lot of very waxy, very disgusting um, practical effects of like lots of faces melting. Mm. Uh, you know, just like lots of like lumps of flesh falling off and very red, red, red caro syrups oozing out <laughs> behind it. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a, a really dense mythology that is never particularly explained. It's, it's a cult. You're not given much more than that. There's a woman walking around with her eyeballs completely whited out and she's got a, a guide dog, some um, big Alsatian. It's a really stark image. is here there's nobody here i can feel a presence somebody else is in here oh some weird story that emily told me about room 36 emily who's emily the blind girl that lives in the old house by the crossroads it's great it's it's quasi incoherent and at times a little repetitive but it's all just got so much kind of gusto and, and and weirdness and and it's so iconic and stuff and it's so unsettling because it never goes where you expect it to go as ever when you're in the hands of of... i've always found it really fascinating i've never really got to the bottom of it why it is that i tried talking to um to my partner about this and about because she is not only italian but was an italian film critic so Mm. about this idea of like why is the the approach to narrative especially in italian horror is just so different there's a lot of um Ex, kind of expository dialogue as much as there is in any other film you've still got the same thing of you know going to see the character who knows what's happening and explaining things yeah. but the explanations that they offer often just don't really make sense anyway um is it a dream logic in the in a similar way to house or uh, yeah i guess maybe it is it's a, it's less abstract than house because it does have you know there's there is a, a through line to it but um but yeah, I guess it's just that they, they don't give you any information that they don't feel like you need or that isn't going to add to the atmosphere, that isn't going to okay. add to the scares. It's not, 
It's not like uh, some of the more kind of mainstream American horrors that wants to walk you through a plot to tell you why you mm. should care about this thing. You care about it because it's freaking you out. But um, so it's a, it's a really um, as a as a visceral experience. It's great. It's lots of really in, like Fabio Fritzi scores are really fun because they're often very incongruous and that sound editing is sometimes really clunky. Mm-hmm. So halfway through a scene, when you least expect it, some kind of and they are very disco influenced music will just kind of just just start and it's uh it's it's a it's a really interesting film uh, right. i i like it a lot and it ties into my next choice which is uh the void okay it's a much more recent film it's from 2016 mm-hmm. uh it's from a a kind of collective of canadian filmmakers who had made a bunch of again pastiche style horror spoof comedy stuff not flat out comedy in the sense yeah. of a dark place, but kind of leaning towards that similarly reverential while also poking fun at the genre conventions. But they started working on this thing called the void and they realized quite quickly that they were going to be taking this one a lot more seriously. Who are they? There is something calling them all here. There are two directors that ended up on it, but it's kind of a collective. And um, they are effects guys uh, uh, by trade. Mm. Uh, they were working apparently on Suicide Squad when they made this, ah. weirdly. Um, but they are huge proponents of practical effects, which is why I thought this might be up your uh, street. Definitely. Um, it's a... Again, much as with the guest, you're in the same kind of idea of guys who understand the genre making a riff on the genre, but taking it quite seriously, still trying to make a, a good film out of the things that they like to see, if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, it's not spoofing, it's not undercutting, but you'll, um, you'll recognize elements and there's, there's shorthand at play. So, um, uh, you've got, you know, a small town cop kind of bored small town cop. And uh, he stumbles across a guy crawling out of the forest on his hands and knees, terrified beyond all mm. measure. Uh, we've previously seen this guy escape from a, a ramshackle house with weird markings on the doors where two men have uh, shot a young woman in the back with a shotgun and then set fire to her on the lawn. So you've set up stakes without knowing anything about what's happening. And that's kind of, I always really like that. Yeah. A mystery is set up immediately and you're in. Uh, he takes the, um, the young man to a hospital, a nearby hospital, which is being packed up and moved out because there was a fire which destroyed the majority of the hospital. There's very, there's skeletal staff still there. One doctor, mm. a couple of nurses, uh, and a young pregnant girl who's there to see the doctor. Uh, you get to the hospital and, uh, Immediately, a bunch of white-robed cult weirdos with a black triangle drawn on the face turn up, surround the hospital, and you now realize that you're in for essentially a bottle episode. It's a no-escape situation. 
um, the tension gets ratcheted up from there. It becomes, um, again, not to spoil too much, but it's kind of Lovecraftian mm-hmm. more than anything else. That's why these kind of portals into weirdness, but the beyond and the void have a lot of kind of parallels as it goes through. Not so obviously, but, um, certainly, you know, the, the, the cult aspect and occult aspect, uh, there's a, a, a bit of a Lovecraft vibe to the beyond, just in a, a book that is used. It's, it's a book of Avon, it's called, which is part of the kind of Cthulhu myth. And right. the void leans far more heavily into that. I wouldn't usually have recommended something like a Lovecraft kind of thing for a Halloween, but I think mm-hmm. the way that this one plays out, there's lots of really visceral kind of gross shocks to be had later on. It's, uh, it's got a John, it's got a John Carpenter, you know, uh, assault on precinct 13 yeah. yeah small small group of survivors banding together or rather not banding together you yeah. know uh internal tensions external tensions it's a real it's like 90 minutes um it's got a hell of a pace to it it, 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 it shifts through the gears exactly when you'd want it to i think it's pretty fantastic um, mm. so yeah there's my portals into weirdness double which which ran just <laughs> Uh, just around three hours, me yeah. just under, because it was just under, I thought I couldn't think of an episode or a short or a TV or something that I wanted to run. So I've cheated and I've just shoved another film in and okay. it has literally no connection to the previous two. I <laughs> okay, just, so this is out I on its own. It's, it is, it's just a, it's, it's, it's a cheat, but, um, I had wanted to put, uh, some proper vampire in. Mm. somewhere um and the one that i really wanted to use is, uh there's a director called uh michio yamamoto and he made three uh vampire movies in the course of the 70s uh they were packaged together by arrow video as the bloodthirsty trilogy that's the only reason i'd ever heard of them uh it just had a very cool box up and and sometimes that's what that's what you go for yeah and they, they turned out to be these fantastic very cool kind of uh toho studios um, basically wanted to jump on the, uh, on a kind of hammer vibes. So they made, oh, that's you know, the, uh, the house connection again. That was Toho. Yes. Yeah. 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 Toho was, was turning out some great horror stuff. And, uh, so the first film that I, of the trilogy is the one I picked largely because it's the shortest, but also because I think it's probably the most fun is the vampire doll. It's only 70 mm. minutes long. <laughs> it's just got a very simple little plot to it. It's again in a spooky house. It's vampires, but, it's vampires done from a completely different cultural perspective, which is really interesting because yeah. in terms of the rules that they follow and the rules that they break and the rules that they make up and the idea of where the vampire comes from is, uh, you know, they've taken what they want. There's no reverence for the, um, for the, for the established kind of old European rules for it, which makes mm. it really interesting. It's just really stylish, you know, like, uh, a little bit confusing again, yeah. but, uh, it's got a real kind of swagger and a, and a real snappy pace. So I thought, um, after, after you've descended into two <laughs> portals into weirdness, maybe you might just want to have a bit of a refresher and get back into something a little more traditional. So, um, that should take us just after 6 p.m. on Saturday. Ah, that's okay. Cause my slot is running a little short. So we should be able to stay on track here. Uh, I've gone for around 6 PM. If anyone is following this, uh, freaks and geeks, uh, an episode called tricks and treats, which was a Halloween episode of one of my favorite shows. It was criminally canceled after one season, but 
it is short but perfectly formed. Uh, it's kind of like what you were saying about Dark Place. Uh, it really shouldn't have gone on much longer. Right. Um, as far as the, the main character, Lindsay, her arc is absolutely perfect as far as I can can tell um there's a, there's a great group of actors here together and it's got that judd apatow stamp of approval which uh, i always whenever i saw his name on something i kind of gravitated towards it beginning probably around the super bad knocked up era when i just realized that oh this this guy's onto something and it goes all the way back to larry sanders and uh yeah he's a ta- talented chap i think so anyway this is actually paul feig's uh brainchild he wrote this one and uh it's got a great cast. Lindsay's played by uh, Linda Cardellini, who went on to uh do some ER, which I'm quite fond of. It's got Busy Phillips and uh of Dawson's Creek fame. Uh Seth Rogan, Jason Siegel, uh and James Franco is kind of kind of there, a very handsome, grinning James Franco. Um the, the episode kind of revolves around trick-or-treating and whether you're too old to trick-or-treat basically sam what are you doing you're too old to go out trick-or-treating oh harold stop well it's true there was this kid in my neighborhood when i was growing up scott byron and he kept on trick-or-treating until he's well into his 20s you know where he's living now at home with his 90 year old mother he's the laughing stock of the community never took a wife either um, it's got this virgin suicides kind of uh, glow about it with the cinematography that, um, I kind of relate back to, um, E.T. as well. I was going to pick E.T., but my, my girlfriend said that's not a Halloween film, so <laughs> I didn't do it. Um, it kind of has that glow about it, that suburban kind of trick or treating, sun's going down. Um, you know, uh, they're hiding E.T. And it basically looks like that. The whole thing looks like that. And it looks like virgin suicides. And there's kind of mailbox baseball, the, the kind of stuff you see in Stand By Me. And it kind of comes back to, um, whether you're, whether you're too old to hand out, cal- uh, hand out candy with your mum on, on Halloween and kind of enjoy Halloween as, as a kid or whether you kind of go off and do something a bit more ad- adult orientated. Um, it's a really great episode for John Francis Daly and Becky Ann Baker, who plays, uh, the crestfallen mum. And, uh, Happy Gilmore fans, uh, will, will recognize Joe Flaherty, the, uh, jackass guy who plays <laughs> Sam's dad, um, as a very deadpan Dracula. And he kind of steals the show. Yeah. It's a really, really great show. It's up there with my favorites of all time and this being a halloween episode i thought it'd be nice to throw it in there for a a 45 minute part of this slot um the next double bill is going to be a pseudo documentary horror double uh beginning with 1992's ghost watch which was uh, a piece of television that terrified a generation i suppose uh have you ever seen this one ghost watch i've never seen it it is one of those always been on my yep get around to it so this finally will be the year you'll probably really enjoy this one there'll be a lot of uh, tv personalities that you recognize michael parkinson and uh sarah giving giving out his parker pens (laughs) (laughs) yeah and uh mike smith and uh craig charles is also uh, oh, wait, making an appearance. Not Mike Smith. I was thinking of Mike McShane. I have no idea. Mike, Mike McShane. Smith. Oh, um, uh, Friar Tuck. 
Yeah. I don't no, know Mike Smith was actually um, Sarah Green's real life husband. He died fairly recently in the, in the, the last few years. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're all, they're all part of this, this build up, this uh, faux outside broadcast setup that was kind of loosely based on uh, the Enfield poltergeist story uh, about a ghost terrorizing a, a family. I think that was in East London. And uh, this one uh, is done throughout the idiom of the outside broadcast. And, and it's, it's presented as if it was real, even though it leads in with, uh, you know, it, it's under the, uh, the umbrella of screen one, which did BBC dramas at the time. Uh, it has the words uh, starring, Michael Parkinson starring Sarah oh, Green. Okay. It's like, so it's not really presented uh, as, yeah. as factual, but if you do happen to miss that 10 second intro, which most people do, I mean, who tunes in exactly at the right moment, particularly then there was no sky plus, there's nothing like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the chances were you maybe missed the beginning and you, it duped a nation. Basically they thought it was real. They had something like 30,000 complaints. I heard, I don't know if that's real or not, but, um, Kids were terrified. Um, parents were terrified. A man soiled himself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was related to this or not, but uh, it happened and someone called in and complained to points of view. Uh, there was also a slightly more serious story of a, of a, a boy with special needs um, hanging himself uh, five oh days later. He was uh, sort of tormented by this idea of ghosts and felt like the, the film had spoken to him specifically and was uh yeah quite damaged by by watching it um they said that he was hypnotized and obsessed by the show um so it it revolves around a family who are troubled by some kind of an entity uh it, it ends up speaking through one of the daughters in the most terrifying scene that i always remember uh it was featured on one of charlie brooker's recent programs where he sort of flashed back to it and one of his wipe wipes that he does yes. and uh he discussed it on there uh they, they really wanted to to go quite far with this originally the the writer stephen uh, stephen volk i think wanted to put a high-pitched sound on the soundtrack to to make everyone's pets go crazy like you so that oh, wow. people couldn't hear it but your, your pets would start <laughs> acting wildly it's a, it's a halloween it's prank it's irresponsible like, it is I mean, but, uh, it's impressive terms, <laughs> the, the, the concept it it's it comes from a good place i think i believe that it comes from a halloween trick kind of mentality it's like a, a, yeah. a prank for halloween night and it actually aired on halloween night 1992 and i, I remember watching it when it first went out and being, um, I think taken in by it, but I think I watched it with my family who probably said, yeah, it's not real, you know? And also watching it now as an adult, that there's a lot to give away the fact that it's not real. But, um, if you can suspend that disbelief and put yourself back in, in a, in a childhood kind of mindset back in 92, when there wasn't a lot of stuff like this, um, the found footage genre hadn't, hadn't begun. Children, come on. No, Sarah, Sarah, stay where you are, please. Sarah, stay there, please. Don't go upstairs. Why? Because we hear that Susanna's got out of bed, but she's not yet stay appeared. Stay here, I don't know she's why. Not, she's not appeared on the landing. Susanna, where, where is she? It, it, it could be a piece of its usual misdirection. I just, trust me, Sarah, stay there. 
yeah, there was a big a big outcry. Like they originally wanted to go further. They, they wanted Michael Parkinson to state that the ghost is probably in your house too. Uh, and if he if he'd done that, it would have been it would have added to this idea of a national seance that they were trying to create. Yeah. Um, and people people are calling in. A lot of them are real calls and real real, you know, in inverted commas, yeah. uh, ghost stories, and uh, uh, using real members of the public uh, apart from everything that relates to pipes who is the the ghost within the okay. story. um the, the the banging of central heating uh pipes that, that's where he gets his name from but there's a huge mythology kind of related to it and uh it's actually quite a dense mythology that they that they go through on the show um lots of people believed it michael parkinson's mother thought it was real <laughs> thought he was out wow. there p- possessed re- reciting nursery rhymes in a in an exploding bbc studio <laughs> um so yeah it it was uh it, it, again it was post watershed but it talks about you know saliva on a doorstep and um excrement smeared on a door and there's mentions of child murder and the, wow. the mutilation of a pregnant dog and all this, this stuff. It's, it seems very dark. Um, and it still plays very well. I really got some chills out of this one. Um, perhaps it's just relating back to, to how I felt back then, but, um, th- th- this one was a really, really scary one for me. Like again, most of it perhaps doesn't hold up to some, but it holds up for me. So if you've never seen this one, have a look. Uh, and it also leads into my next choice, which is, uh, obviously the Blair Witch Project. Yeah. From, uh, 1999, which some say was, uh, inspired by this. The directors, um, said they didn't actually see it until it was brought to their attention later as being a possible influence. And they watched it after yeah. they'd finished the movie. Which, which I can imagine. I mean, they, they started the film a couple of years before they released it. And, uh, yeah. Ghostwatch, while, while it was a big, you know, uh, a big sensation over here in the UK, maybe it didn't, especially in the nineties, that sort of thing oh. would travel as, as I don't well. think it aired in the USA. They'd really have to yeah. try hard to seek it out so I, I believe them on on you know as far as that goes yeah but yeah th- this one is my the big scary one that i've chosen because it it really did uh terrify me and sam hollis our friend sam we went yeah. to uh teesside showcase to see this one probably opening night um can't say for sure it opened on a friday um and we used to go on friday night so yeah it, it's likely we saw this one when it opened and uh the, the entire cinema was was stunned um he remembers everyone just being sort of sat in silence at the end throughout the entire end credits but yeah. un- unfortunately i remember um a lad saying uh what is he doing uh, taking a piss <laughs> uh, when uh, when mike is standing facing the wall which is like the the the, the kind yeah, of, yeah, the big payoff. It is. It's the big payoff. Uh, and it shows that if, if, I don't know if he arrived late or if he, uh, wasn't paying attention, but it all ties in to, yeah. uh, to the, the Rustin Parr story. Again, mythology is the key for me in horror. I, I really think this one's got a great underpinning. Yeah. There's the, the Ellie Kedwood, which is, is gone into more detail in the Curse of the Blair Witch documentary, which I, I always like too. And that's quite revealing because the, the film was originally planned to be more like that as a, as a faux yeah. documentary with, with, uh, talking heads, uh, rather than just being found footage. But I'm so glad they went with it, uh, with just the found footage and had the, the boldness and it, it, 
it's the first time a film like that had really ever been done. I mean, there's hints of it in, in something like, uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Um, people often reference as far as being a, a found footage film, but this does it in such a bold way, just seeing the footage itself. The performances are incredible. Um, very believable. It's, it's funny. It's darkly funny in moments. Um, yeah. it, it's also like one of those films that it has a very convenient happenstance going on. Uh, like a lot of things just worked in their favor. Um, people are interested in how the film was, was made. They can, they can research it themselves, but uh, there's a very postmodern style of directing, uh, where the, the actors were given cameras and taught to use the 16 millimeter and, and the DAT recorder. And, yeah. uh, they, they went out in the woods for several days and were sort of harassed by the crew who ran around in, in long johns and played crying baby sounds on a boom box and just basically scared the life out of them. And, uh, what they got on camera was what they got. And they would kind of direct them with notes and, uh, have little meetings each day. And it's just an, an amazing way to make a film. I just want to apologize. Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. I am so, so sorry because it is my fault because it was my project. I consider it to be like one of the most punk rock films ever. Mm. It's just made for like 30,000 and made a, a bunch like 240 million i think was one of the final yeah. counts but um I think, it's, um I think it's a bit of a shame that like uh because it was such a massive cultural phenomenon it sort of undercut the power of the fact that the film in and of itself is really well put together i think Clearly. it did yeah i, and, I think and, it, i think it's great like i still it still casts a little if i watch it now i i can still kind of get transported back into it so, um it's a shame that there were so many kind of parodies and stuff that kind of blunted the impact yeah. of it a little well, it always happens, doesn't it? When, when something's such a, a massive success, but yeah, I'm still scared of the DVD menu. I'm, I'm terrified of everything relating to it. Um, so I, 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 I this slot was originally going to be scariest ever and it was going to be my two scariest, which would be the exorcist mm-hmm. and, um, the Blair Witch project. But I went for the faux documentary to kind of nice. match it together. The exorcist. Does it belong in a Halloween playlist? Maybe. It was very disturbing. I remember seeing that one when it was first released. Uh, They lifted the video ban. And I saw that in 1999, the same year. And I actually saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre the same year as well, that which, which had its ban lifted in 1999 too. So that was a great year for Mm. uh, all this kind of two of those resurging kind of horrors. So yeah, I I consider it the scariest ever. If, If you don't turn it up loud, get all the lights off, you're cheating. So really go for it with this one. And, uh, uh, I think you'll really get spooked. So yeah, that takes us to the end of that slot. And now we've got the, the big one, the Saturday 10 PM slot. Saturday 10. So I've, I've kind of tried to match the tone a little of what you did on the Friday at 10 really, which is, uh, even though you had a haunted houses too, it's like, it's, it's, uh, it's a fun kind of celebration of kind of how, how enjoyable Oh, a horror film can be. So I've yeah. kind of, I've called the segment fun dead, hey. <laughs> which is, which is the, the weird kind of, uh, little uh, game show that's playing at the end of Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because you know, they're, they're both kind of zombie related. I'm not usually massively 
convinced about zombies and and Halloween as a thing, but you know, I, th- mm. I think I think they they play. Uh, Shaun of the Dead was was a thing that I think both of us probably leaned towards maybe picking. I, I'd love to put it in there, yeah. But I I wondered what to match it with. Um, yeah, I wondered doing you know Dawn of the Dead, Shaun of the Dead, but Dawn of the Dead is so long, it would have yes. overrun the, the segment. So I and then I thought Day of the Dead, but then everyone would be like, why did you put Day and not Dawn? Mm. That doesn't work. I, I love, I love Day of the Dead, but yeah, um, it's I one of my favorites it, actually. Day of the Dead. Um, yeah. I think the effects in that, um, I think that and the thing have mm. probably my favorite practical effects ever, and the head squashing in the fly too. Um, wow, which we didn't mention. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I love that one. So you went with um, Fun Dead. Well, I did, and and uh, the first film in it is One Cut of the Dead, which is the the most recent film either of us have picked. I think two thousand. Okay, I've heard about this, and you raved about it on on uh, one of our messages. In which case, I'm going to keep this quite brief because One Cut of the Dead was a film that was recommended to me as well, and I remember seeing the poster around for it. It was playing at the Prince Charles Cinema quite a lot. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I was reluctant to watch it because I was done with comedy zombies, right? Uh, didn't particularly think that there was much left for them to say. I thought Shaun of the Dead was so good. And then you would have like a couple of years later, there was, oh, we've got Juan of the Dead. I said, like, I'm not watching that. Cockneys versus zombies. Yeah, exactly. It just kind of, and then it just disintegrated, you know, and I just thought um, people were raving about it, but I just didn't have the, um, I just didn't feel like it. And also, you know, everything I heard about it where it's like, oh, it's shot on like DV and ah. uh, and it was shot very cheaply. And why are like they shooting on DV in 2018? Um, well, I, I guess by you know, like uh, handheld cameras. I guess I should probably say rather than DV. Um, oh, so it's yeah. like it it's it is modern, super yeah. modern technology. It's like yes, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's, like uh, a, not a like a prosumer kind of a, a camcorder. Yes. Um, and I'd, I'd it was also that people were talking about and and you know that oh, it was made for like no money and. Uh, I don't know whether maybe I've just sort of become a bit jaded towards that sort of thing, but I always just feel like, oh, is that just, does that just mean that it's going to be an excuse for it to be like shit, mm. but we're all supposed to feel sorry for it because it didn't cost any money, but, right. um, which is a terrible <laughs> attitude to take. Anything. <laughs> uh, but you know, especially having seen so many substandard comedy horror films being churned out, I just thought I didn't have the bandwidth to take on another one. Yeah. Um, but I was so happy that I actually finally took the time out to watch this one. I watched it. I immediately went out and bought the Blu-ray so I could continually watch it. Uh, I've seen it three times now within the space of just a few months. <laughs> wow. I won't say much about it. Uh, the, the start of the film is that it's a, um, it's the making of as a, a, a low budget zombie. It's actually a zombie TV show for Japanese television. Mm-hmm. It's a Japanese film, of course. Right. Um, and uh, a director is hired and they talk about um uh so you, you're watching the uh the zombie film being made and it's a it's a one it is literally in one cut it's a it's single a, take. a single take and as wow. far as I, I am aware and the uh making of footage would confirm uh it was legit no hidden cheat. cuts i don't right. think there is there is space for hidden cuts but I don't think they used any. I might be wrong there, though. So it, it starts out as a as a kind of splattery comedy. Well, not comedy. It's it's hard to judge the, the the tone of it. It's also hard to say how much you should say about it. Suffice to say that uh, the slot that I would relate this to from the previous um, blog I did was 
this reminds me a little of Ed Wood in that it's almost like a celebration of the kind of community that rallies around the people that make horror films. Mm. And that, you know, uh, I find it oddly heartwarming. Mm. It's, it's difficult to, to relay too much about it because, uh, it's a setup and a structure that if you kind of go into it, even if you go into it thinking that it's going to kind of surprise you, then that's also a shame. So I will just say that Mm -hmm. I find the film, uh, to be extremely heartwarming in a strange way. And that, uh, it was one of my favorite films of the last couple of years that came out and and was kind of a, a bit of a, for a shitty pun, a no brains, uh, uh, to put it in here. And I figured, well, while we're on the idea of of the dead, that it would be paired most perfectly with return of the living dead, which is just, just so much fun. If you haven't seen it, just watch it. If you haven't seen it in a while, watch it again. If you have, just watch it again because it's really fun. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's just grotesque and splattery, and it's got it's like a uh, you know it's always referred to as like the punk rock. It was famous for diverging from the the rules. Yes, yeah, it's it's got its own thing going, and uh, and it brings a lot to the party as far as like you know the the zombie mythology and and broadening it out and maybe you know keeping some of the social conscious kind of messaging that would be quite prevalent in the genre but yeah. also mixing it with just this really badass kind of grungy gnarly punky tone to it and right it's uh it's just super fun I, it's for me it's up there with with evil dead 2 in terms mm. of like funny violent gross hilarious very cool um horrors and the uh, similarly rattles through what it needs to say in around 90 minutes and doesn't waste your time. Send more cops. It worked in the movie. Well, it ain't working now, Frank. the movie line. It's not a bad question, Bert. It's not a bad question, Bert. It's not a bad question, Bert. The return of the living dead. What's the favorite, what's that famous zombie, uh, the makeup there, the charred, so, oh, the tar man. The tar man, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you get like great kind of iconic visuals involved there. And, and yeah. the, uh, the line, uh, send more cops. Like the, <laughs> the, the talk, the idea of talking zombies is yeah. very, very interesting, which they, they sort of did a bit of in, in Walking Dead, even though it wasn't, wasn't entirely what we thought it was going to be with the whispers. But yeah, Return of the Living Dead. Excellent. So that's, that's my, yeah, that's my midnight movie. These are, you could basically say that that is like, you know, it's a quintessential midnight movie. Mm. Um, you know, Linnea quickly being very cool and weird. And so that was, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the last film really. And then I just thought, well, why not cap it off while we're, while we're in a sort of vaguely Shaun of the Dead mood ish? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that we would just, uh, um, watch the spaced episode art, which mm. is famously the episode which formed the basis of a lot of what they went on to do in Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. I heard Edgar telling a story about, um, how that the genesis of Shaun of the Dead was that his girlfriend went away and she said, don't play Resident Evil all, all weekend. He's like, okay, I won't. And then he ended up playing Resident Evil all weekend mm-hmm. and, and kind of, um, staying up all night. a cheap speeder, right? <laughs> don't buy so. a couple of Scottish heads. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next day, like very early in the morning, he walked to the news agents and that inspired that shot, which I, uh, recreated with our friend, uh, Erin. Oh yeah. Uh, when I went she to used London. to live in the area. She did, yeah. yeah. And uh, we recreated that walk, and I went to the same shop, and I bought a diet coke 
<laughs> not a full fat cock. And, uh, yeah. So that image of, uh, there being no one around, uh, kind of inspired, you know, what if there were zombies around and, and how would I protect myself? Cause there's no guns in England. Um, so yeah, th- that relates to the resident playing of the resident evil, which is part of this episode. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's how it all starts. And that's why Tim, while he's out, he's, uh, he's constantly seeing, um, uh, zombies attacking. Yeah. Uh, but there's also a great, the, you know, the main plot of, um, David Williams as a, uh, as a performance artist. (laughs) It's it's not finished. 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 (laughs) Heads up. Don't sneak up on me like that. Mm. Want a cup of tea? Yes. So that's uh, yeah. So that's that's basically that's our Halloween marathon. We've got a couple of little like um, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, like a like a, like a wafer, a wafer thin table. mint at the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got an after eight mint. I've got um, just yeah, some sort of horrible. Horrible crumbs. Well, I mean, I, I, we, we had mentioned this and I was really excited to see some of this stuff. This is, uh, public service, uh, information films, right? Yeah. I, I found this one on, uh, one of those countdowns. It's called Lonely Water, aka Dark and Lonely Water. I'll be back. It's only a minute and 30 seconds, but it's quite a harrowing minute and 30 seconds. It's narrated by Donald Pleasance. Weird that that's his only appearance. It is. Uh, I actually watched him in a documentary the other night called Terror in the Isles. Have you ever seen that? Oh, I've not. It's uh, like an old horror documentary that was released in theaters. So it had all the swearing and nudity and violence within it, but he narrates it from the seats in the cinema. And uh, also uh, Nancy Allen is sort of like a co-narrator oh, okay. in it. So it's really cool. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so we went with Lonely Water. Um, it was referenced by, uh, Russell Brand on his show, uh, Ponderland. And, uh, yes. I'm, I'm just going to quote him because he's, you know, much more eloquent than me. So he said, uh, it's a Bergman-esque parable about the dangers of swimming in water with sexual undertones and mind-bending, terrifying metaphor. I'm not scared of water. I'm scared of that advert. So. Yeah, it's also been featured in a countdown of the 100 Greatest Scary Moments on Channel 4. That was one of the other places wow. I saw it. So it's kind of legendary yeah, now. Yeah, I think that's where I'd seen it, yeah. Mm. And uh, that leads into Apaches, which uh, I saw Edgar Wright talking about on YouTube the other day, but I think I'd heard of it before in one of these countdowns. Uh, this one is a bit longer. It's 27 minutes. And it relates more to us because it was aimed at rural parts of the UK to stop kids playing around with farm machinery right okay yeah uh across from where i lived uh there was a quarry kids used to sneak into the quarry and there was always rumors of uh or not rumors but kind of warnings of what could happen if you fell into one of the gravel pits and you'd be sucked in and suffocated or if you were you know we used to roll hay bales around and stuff like that and if you got you could get suffocated under the hay bales and things like this but it's it's all related to the dangers of of playing on farms it's constructed right. in a very interesting way it's almost like a slasher film where the danger is the, the you know there's no michael myers or um it, it's all just the the this kind of impending 
danger of something happening. I likened it to uh, an episode of Casualty, you know, at the beginning of Casualty. Oh, yes. Um, th- there used to be, you know, a, a man with a, you know, cutting a tree branch with a chainsaw and you'd be like, oh God, what's going to happen here? The whole thing feels like, like that. Uh, it's very tightly wound and it's very surreal as well. It has like a dreamlike feel to it where the kids are playing a, a Cowboys and Indians game and each of them are picked off one by one. Like one drowns in slurry. Uh, another one drinks poison. Oh my um, yeah, it's, it's very harrowing. Hey, I'm not drinking that. You don't know what it is. Well, just mime it. Like we did in the school play. It might be poison. Yeah, to kill the rat. No, it isn't poison. It would look like it. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. What you, Sharon's got all of my jacket. You all right, Sharon? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there's quite a heartbreaking aspect to it as well. Like, as each of the kids is is picked off, uh, they they cut to an image that uh, of their parents, you know, cleaning out their room, or a teacher cleaning out their desk in a classroom, or uh, their name tag been taken off the cloakroom, uh, the peg in the cloakroom. It, it's very effective, and, it, and if you do have kids, you'll be very glad that they're at home looking at a smartphone and not ritualistically drinking poison or or anything like that on a farm somewhere. So, um, yeah, really interesting one and uh, quite obscure. Uh, it, you can watch it. If you're in England, you can see it for free on the BFI website. I think there's a DVD available. But, yeah, I'll put a link in the uh in the blog. So that's the end of my, my choices. I think you've got one more to put a cherry on the cake here. Yeah. Well, I, I having read about, uh, what you said about this, I just wanted to pop in like a, um, a recommendation kind of capper on it really, because from the uh, back at the start, we mentioned, uh, Matthew Holness is the yeah. creator of dark place and, um, that he'd been kind of quiet, I guess, since dark place. And well, mm. since the follow up man to man with Dean Lerner, uh, <laughs> a show, which neither of them were as happy with, although I think it's got some great moments. I sort of agree. I didn't know about that. It's uh, it's it's decent. It's like a, a comedy chat show where uh, Dean Lerner interviews different Matt Holmes characters every week. The but Garth Marenghi Garth doesn't Marenghi. return. Garth Marenghi does in, in the does. first one. You get you get to see another Garth Marenghi film, which is <laughs> it's worth it for that. It's yeah. uh, unfortunately it's played in front of a live audience, so you get laughs, and I think that kind of has a bit of a knowing me, tone. knowing you vibe. Yeah, yeah, it's a good show. Like there's some good stuff in it, but I think they were probably better keeping it single camera and away from an audience, um, okay. maybe a little more tightly controlled. But um, since then he'd been very quiet and it turned out that he'd created a, uh, a film, which was being obviously advertised as from the director of, or from the creator of dark place, but it is an extremely serious and very grim film called possum from 2018, right. which linked into me just because it's uh, extremely grim, extremely British and extremely seventies. I don't know if it's actually set in the seventies. It's kind of set in a sort of nowhere time. It could be anywhere from the seventies to modern day, yeah. but it has that real washed out, rainy, miserable kind of, uh, 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 desaturated look to everything. And Sean Harris is the lead character. He plays a disgraced children's puppeteer who mm-hmm. has to return to his childhood home, which is this completely destroyed house with his dad living in it. Who's, uh, just this disgusting, um, uh, uh, oh, it's his uncle, sorry, not his dad. Uh-huh. Um, played by Alan Armstrong and he's 
smoking roll-ups and wearing a vest. And it's like, it's, oh, it's horrible. And all the wallpaper's peeling off and there's yeah. stains everywhere and it's fire damage. And um, Possum is the name of uh, Sean Harris's puppet. He's this horrific spider-looking creature. Wow. And it's just so haunting. Like, it's another one of those films where it doesn't give you answers and that makes it far more powerful. Mother, father, what's afoot? Only possum black as soot. Mother, father, where to tread? Far from possum and his head. Here's a bag, now what's inside? Does he seek or does he hide? Can you spy him? Deep within, little possum, black as sin. It just sort of hangs heavy with this atmosphere of dread. So it depends how you want to finish your Halloween offering. If you want to finish it <laughs> off by being super bummed out, please do feel free to watch these. But yeah. um, nonetheless, I would recommend Possum. I think it's I think it's great, and I think it's a really strange film that that would fit somewhere in your Halloween viewing if you want to watch something that's really going to kind of make an imprint on you and stick with you. Um, we have <laughs> managed reached the end. to fill two full days and also the entire <laughs> of your previous week. So uh, how do you feel about our recommendations? I think they're pretty good. I, I do think you'd be crazy to attempt it, but you know, there's some crazy people out there. I think, you know, you can dip in and really choose. I think the double bills are an interesting one. And, um, I think they can pick and choose if, if you yep. fancy anything we talked about, just really dip in and, uh, you know, as we say, this is all going to be up on the blog, rewindmoviecast.com. This is where we're going to list all of these films down. We're going to have a little introduction to them all. Matt's put together a very wonderful video. Carousel fee is a jump on the Spotify playlists will be on there. A little bit of art. Uh, some some art, definitely from Matt, possibly from me, although as we all know, I do like to hold up the release <laughs> of all of our episodes by not doing mine on time. Um, it's been really great, I think, yeah. to be able to talk about this with somebody else. And, and it's been, it kind of, it inspired a lot of interesting choices and uh, and I'm looking forward to watching a lot of this stuff over the coming days. Well, it was nice to share this with someone because I kind of have to do this stuff on my own usually and you probably do too. So it was, it was yeah, exactly. great chatting with you. Yeah, you too. Uh, and thanks very much for listening. Uh, we do like to hear from people if they have suggestions for us, comments, anything that they liked, uh, anything that you would add. If anyone wants to make up one of these uh, full day schedules or even two day schedules and link us to it, we're obviously always very happy yeah. to watch far too many films in far too short a space of time. Yeah. Or if you're doing a, a horror October or anything like that, we'd love to hear what, you, what you're watching. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much, Matt. Shall we do our uh, Simpsons sign-offs? Have you got one? Um, I don't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, let's let's uh, let's let's just pull one out of the thin air. Uh, so this is uh, Demon Adjacent Devlin signing <laughs> out. Thanks very much for sticking with us through this marathon. And malevolent Matt in South Korea. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast and on our continuing Halloween October. Along about twelve when the whistle blows There's a swinging place no one knows You'll see a weird crew that looks real scary It's just the graveyard ship at the cemetery Get me my tools, you fool I'm gonna dig Not alive Ugh! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
see the foreman will make them behave. They really obey when he says, dig that grave. The moon was bright, so the wolfman was hired. But during an eclipse, he soon was fired. Don't bury me alive, you clip kicker five. Walks down, Draco get out his whip and send them many freeloaders straight to the crypt. They're working real hard now all through the night, cause it's straight to the coffin before it gets light. Teamwork, everybody. Frankie, Natasha, Boris, the werewolf, we'll dig together, you silly fools. <laughs> I'm getting dirt in my mouth, Natasha. 